Hello my friends, welcome back to Garda Goes Geek. Today's episode we're going to be discussing gatekeeping in geek culture. Um, obviously myself as a white man can only give some opinions on this. So I'm going to be bringing my wife Tulula to help me later in the episode to discuss some of the topics regarding uh, female treatment in geek properties. So hopefully you'll join us for that. Until then, I'm going to do the quickfire geek talking points first, and then uh, we'll crack on with the discussion. So, firstly, I thought I'd start this episode where last episode ended off with some uh, quickfire geek discussion topics. Now, we're currently experiencing the um, release of both Marvel's What If and Star Trek's Lower Decks Season 2, um, both of which are launching new episodes every week. Um, I've watched the second episode of Star Trek The Lower Decks. I was a big fan of it. I was especially a big fan of a lot of the uh, contrasting nature um, between Boimler's life on the Titan and the more sort of character-focused um, approach of the old Star Trek series, like the comparisons that he made to Next Generation. Um... Yeah, Lower Decks is very, very funny, and I'm enjoying how aware it is as a show of Star Trek culture and uh, Trekker fandom as in general. Uh, and I'm very much liking the... Uh, <laughs> I like the twist at the end uh, of the episode. I won't spoil it for anyone who hasn't watched it, but I did especially like um, Boimler's speech, which I'll be examining in more detail in an upcoming episode slight spoilers um, I'm also seeing the second and third episodes of What If um, the second episode What If T'Challa became Star-Lord was very interesting very funny um, which is what you'd expect from Marvel it was bittersweet to hear Chadwick um, Boseman again as Black Panther well T'Challa um, as Star-Lord in this case um, I love the dedication he got at the end of the episode it was also fun seeing characters like Thanos, Nebula and Korath in completely different circumstances um, and the villain of the episode uh, the collector was very very well done um, so yeah it was that was a lot of fun and more what I'm hoping to get from What If than Captain Carter. Um, it's... Yes, it's definitely uh, a change to the series that I think I enjoyed. I think Captain Carter was a very, very good episode, but it was it was a very singular focused, and it did rush through the events of a two-hour movie um, within 20 minutes, whereas T'Challa as Star-Lord was sort of telling its own story, kind of set around Guardians of the Galaxy and a lot of its major set pieces, but it was still its own story. So I felt it was paced better. Um, that's the same with the third episode. The third episode had a bit of a rougher pacing. Um, 
what if someone murdered the the earth lost its mightiest heroes uh it's essentially a murder mystery and a very interesting one again it's got a, a nice twist that fortunately i managed to work out before the subtitle spoiled it for me uh, i would say if you do watch it with captions on i tend to because i usually have my children around um if you do watch with captions i'd recommend turning the captions off for this episode at least until you've watched it through once um fortunately i'd worked out the twist um just before the captions spoiled it for me but yeah i, I enjoyed it it was uh there's not as many of the returning actors in this one as there were previously um, for example, Black Widow is voiced now by Lake Bell, who played the character of Poison Ivy in the Harlequin series, which is another series that I should have spoken about uh, last week. A uh, very, very good series. I do enjoy that. I, I'm not sure if Season 2 ever made it over here. I think it probably went to Channel 4. Um, Channel 4 has a habit of taking things down very quickly, so I'll probably wait for until that's out on home home media to try and catch up on that um i very much enjoyed season one i still haven't managed to see the suicide squad yet um but i have seen more from it i'm very much looking forward to it the huge deluge of trailers we've got for shang chi continue to impress me and the early reviews are saying that there's a lot of the movie that we haven't seen despite how much is in the trailers which makes sense because from what we've seen of the trailers most while there's a lot of trailers most of them are using the same scenes again so there's probably which is kind of how all the marvel films have worked so um it reminds me of a, a contrasting a contrast that was done with uh batman v superman and captain america civil war back in 2016 someone compiled all of the shots from every trailer into what he guessed was a rough narrative of the film and the batman v superman one was over 10 minutes long and included most of the actual fight between batman and superman the captain america civil war one in contrast was about four minutes long and did not feature zemo at all which i thought was very interesting so i'm expecting there to be a lot of the film that we haven't seen i've heard act two is a bit rough but Act 3 does more than make up for it, and the martial arts sequences are apparently fantastic, so I'm very much looking forward to see that. Um, the final trailer that I want to talk about is the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer, which released. It confirmed most of Hollywood's worst-kept secrets um, regarding the returning villains and the multiverse aspect of the film. I do think it looks very, very good. I am excited to see more trailers down the line. The only issue I have is if they are going to do a multiverse story, if we are going to get multiple Spider-Men, multiple villains, I don't want to, the film to be spending too much time explaining stuff to the audience uh, about these previous films. And I want the focus to still be on Peter and MJ and Ned and you know peter's characters marvel have done a good job of that in the past so i'm very very hopeful um but i do remember the last time sony tried to cram so many 
characters and concepts into a film was Amazing Spider-Man 2. And it did not end up well. So, as long as Marvel manages to rein in some of uh, Sony's more extravagant impulses, we should be fine. So, yeah. Very much looking forward to it. So, um, first I should probably address what I want, what I mean by gatekeeping in geek culture. Um, there's a very definite trend in fandom, especially, for a lot of nerd fandom to generally be consumed mainly by a straight white male audience. And there's a certain type of fan of these things, uh, specifically science fiction, comic books, etc., that can be quite antagonistic towards anything that sort of goes against the depiction of the, the white male hero. And uh, they can tend to push back against people in the fandom to a certain extent. Now, you've probably heard discussions of, especially in the modern age of things being called too woke for pushing diversity or social justice issues, etc. And that's that's a big part of it. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of pushback on women in fandom, on um, minority people in fandom, on uh, queer people in fandom. On children in fandom in some cases. I will say maybe racial isn't quite... Racial gatekeeping isn't maybe quite as prominent uh, anymore as it used to be. And especially in compared in comparison to some of the others. But it does still exist. Uh, I don't want to go too much further on it myself right now as a discussion. Like I said, I am a white man. Um queer discussion I can talk about um, female discussion I can talk about and I can, I'm bringing on my co-host later to address that very topic um, but racial gatekeeping isn't quite in my wheelhouse I'd welcome comments um, from any of my, uh, my you know non-white listeners as to uh, their own experiences in of gatekeeping in geek culture um, you know, have you ever been, you know, what prejudices have you faced in comic shops or game shops? If you want to share them, then please reach out to me at the usual places. The thing is, science fiction and fantasy, as we view them in the West especially, were generally all started by, well, they're believed to be primary uh, a thing created by white men um most of our fantasy stories go back to sort of the original myths and legends things like the original greek legends um and other sort of stories of that elk and folk tales things like robin hood king arthur um and obviously because of where they're set they generally tend to feature white protagonists um and generally male protagonists as well because of the the you know the eras that they were coming out and the 
the the that they were coming out the eras that these stories became popular and the the makeup uh, the status of women at the time however the first generally accepted science fiction story the, well the first science fiction story generally accepted is uh frankenstein frankenstein was written by mary shelley it was uh, Mary Shelley was obviously the uh, wife of Percy Shelley, I believe it was, the romance author. Uh, good friend with Lord Byron. And yes, yeah, she created what is uh, Frankenstein. Frankenstein is considered the first science fiction story because it takes a fictional scientific approach, which is the idea of bringing the dead back to life, which is what Frankenstein does to his monster. Um, and yeah, that's that's generally considered the first science fiction story. Um, a lot of people like Isaac Asimov and uh, John Wyndham have sort of praised it as the sort of thing that inspired them to write science fiction. I think H.G. Wells did as well. As well as obviously more modern authors. Um and it was also a horror story. You know, its impact on the horror genre is also quite pronounced. Uh, with, uh, for example, Stephen King is a, a big fan of it. Uh, I believe Terry Pratchett's mentioned it as well with his own work. He, he doesn't write horror, but he does tend to write uh, more fantasy stories. Neil Gaiman, and, uh, has, I believe, has talked about uh, Frankenstein and the effect that had on him as well. But yet, despite the first science fiction story being written by a woman. You may have noticed all the other names I listed as science fiction and fantasy writers are men. And that's not to say there aren't female science fiction and fantasy authors. Uh, Ursula K. Le Guin being a very prominent example with her Earthsea series. But they just don't seem quite as prominent um earthsea for example is a series that has never been well i think there was a brief adaptation of one of the books but the actual earthsea series has not really had a big mainstream adaptation to the same extent of the works of you know for example jrr tolkien um george rr R. martin H.G. Wells, Isaac Asimov. So you kind of forget the impact that women have had on the genre. And obviously that, that impact extends beyond um, novels. For example, one of the first prominent and successful science fiction shows not to say there weren't science fiction shows before but one of the definitely one of the most prominent um worldwide was star trek now star trek was um produced by desilu productions uh it was written by gene roddenberry at first and his writing team that he assembled his writing team not only prominently included um dc fontana who herself became a very prominent and influential writer in within Star Trek 
under Jean Roddenberry. I think she was the only we only woman on the writing team for the original Star Trek series, and she wrote some of the franchise's most beloved episodes, including the episode uh, "Journey to Babel" and the animated series episode "Yesteryear," as well as a few others throughout the franchise, including into the next generation. She wrote the, um, or helped to write uh, Encounter at Farpoint, which was the Next Generation pilot episode. But Desilu Productions um, was the studio founded by Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball obviously being famous for acting in the show I Love Lucy. Uh, the sitcom. So yeah, her impact in helping Star Trek get made. Many studios passed on Star Trek, passed on Gene Roddenberry when he pitched Star Trek to them. She was the one that greenlit it and put it into production. So you could argue that without Lucille Ball, we might not have Star Trek. You know, which is... A very interesting one to think about as well. Now, the impact of women in other geek media. I mean, it's there. It's definitely prominent. Um, maybe not as prominent in it, uh, mediums like comics, especially during the, the Golden and Silver Ages. Um, but, for example, moving through towards the modern day, there's some very, very famous female comic book writers. Gail Simone is a perfect example. They're, um one of her main series that she worked on was Birds of Prey, which is obviously turned into the movie with uh, Harley Quinn. But there does seem to be a trend towards sort of pushing women out of fandom. You know, the, the, the fandom, you know, the generally accepted fandom of geek culture is male. Usually straight male, usually white male. And the general belief of how women especially can be presented. Um, I mean, for example, if you search women in science fiction, as I did to get the material to to formulate this, um, this episode, um, search women in sci-fi on Google, you don't get articles about... Um, Lucille Ball, Mary Shelley, DC Fontana, um, even Carrie Fisher or Nichelle Nichols, uh, you know, famous women who have starred in science fiction productions. No, what you get is lists of characters, um, usually people like Princess Leia, Ellen Ripley, um, Cara Starbuck Thrace from the new Battlestar Galactica, uh, Sarah Connor, etc., and you don't get the facts about the women behind the scenes. You have to kind of dig more to find those. You get you get prominent lists of female characters, and there are some amazing female characters in science fiction. Don't get me wrong, um, but there are still some flaws with some of those characters, um, which I'll discuss more with my co-host later on. There's also 
a lot of negative tropes associated with um, women in science fiction and geek culture. Um, for example, a lot of female characters will have um, sexual violence as part of their backstory or as something that they may experience in a story. And I kind of hinted in the last episode how I don't like that as a as a trope in general. I don't think it's necessary to sort of have rape be so prominent, especially in fantasy series. This seems to be more of a thing. Um, there's a lot of um, female violence for ex and sexual violence in, for example, something like Game of Thrones, which I don't like. But it does happen in comic books as well. For example, in the series Jessica Jones, it was when it was adapted to the Netflix series from the comic, um, it was out and out stated that Kilgrave had raped the character of Jessica. In the comics, he didn't. He simply used her as a, a puppet, a plaything. And made her watch while he did whatever he wanted with other people. Um, usually, I've never really rape, if I remember rightly. He had them perform for him more often than not. Um, at least I don't remember. It's been a while since I've read the series Alias, where Jessica Jones debuts. Um, and it's not available on the Marvel Unlimited app, so it's uh, due to its adult content, so it's kind of hard to reread. Um, but yeah, there's also the the very prominent trope of fridging. Uh, I think I believe the actual term of the women in refrigerators was um, originated by Gail Simone. In fact, um, she I think she owned a website cataloging all the instances it's happened. Um, fridging is generally considered to be something detrimental happening to a female character, usually something uh, quite graphic, an act of violence, possibly even their death, um, and it being used solely to motivate the male lead. And it's not something that's exclusive to geek media by any means. It happens in a lot of films. A lot of action films, for example, will feature um, a character's wife, daughter, love interest, etc. Experience something horrible in order to motivate them as a character. Um, even just the concept of... You know, the male lead's wife, daughter, etc. being put in danger. As, for example, in Taken or Die Hard. And how that is used purely to motivate the character to do the right thing. <sighs> fridging. One of the more prominent examples of fridging I can think of in uh, geek media was, ironically, in the film Deadpool 2. Um, Deadpool being a character who's usually quite well aware of tropes and conventions and yet uses fridging, which is generally the worst one, on the character of Vanessa. Like, even fandoms will consider fridging a bad trope to use. The film did catch a bit of pushback from it, um, to which the um, the writers of the script actually said they, they didn't know it was a thing. 
which is pretty terrible. Um, but I have... It's one of my many, many issues with Deadpool 2. I do think the first one is a lot better. The second one is... It's not that great. It's not as good. People say it is. It really isn't. There's some... The cable's good. Domino's good. I just don't think the overall script is good. Um, there's a lot of... Like, I don't think you can excuse lazy writing by pointing out that it's lazy writing. You have to do more than that. So, yeah. Um, racial gatekeeping, like I said, I don't want to comment too much on it being male myself. Uh, you know, being white myself. But it is definitely... Um, receiving pushback especially in modern adaptations um for example there's a trend now for sort of race blind casting um for example the current one hitting the headlines is the tele upcoming television adaptation of interview with the vampire has cast i want to say jason reed the actor who played gray worm in game of thrones as one of the leads. I I have read whether he's playing Lestat or Louis, but I can't remember which one. I believe he's playing Louis. Um, now, in the original story, Louis was a plantation owner. So he was a person who owned slaves. We're now having a minority actor play him. So does that mean he's has the same origin? We don't know. Uh, I'm not sure how tight that origin is you know how integral that origin is to the character um you know once the characters in the Anne Rice stories become vampires a lot of their former life seems to be almost forgotten about the stories about them being a vampire um so I'm intrigued I do, I do quite like the original interview with the vampire I think Anne Rice is a bit power mad when it comes to being an author but you know she's She's one of the first authors to openly crack down on fan fiction. But, you know, I'm intrigued. Um, and I, I like that they've gone for a race-blind casting. You know, but there has been pushback on race-blind castings. Um Whereas before there might not have been... I mean, I could be wrong, but I know, for example, in... Batman 1966, the television series. Um, Catwoman was played by Eartha Kitt. Eartha Kitt's a black woman. Um, Joker was played by Cesar Romero. Cesar Romero is a Latin American man. So there were racial castings in, you know, science fiction media far back then and yeah I, I'm not sure if it was picked up on as a big thing I know Eartha Kitt was not the only Catwoman she was replaced uh, twice the actress was replaced as Catwoman um, but Cesar Romero remained the Joker throughout the entire series and the film so it was clearly not a huge problem back then 
nowadays, for example, though, there is more pushback on it. For example, in the CW Arrowverse, um, Iris and Wally West were adapted to be black. Um, and one of the big complaints was that they're not, you know, they're white in the comic and ginger in the comic. So a lot of people were arguing that it was a pushback against um, redheaded ginger people um, in that they were being almost erased. <laughs> um, the issue is the people that were claiming that, the majority of them were also not claiming the same about the character of Roy Harper in Flash's sister show Arrow, who is again, red-headed in the comics, but in the show was played by Colton Haynes, who is not. And there are certain characters, I think, who are, who are known especially for red hair. Um, for example, Mary Jane Watson in the Spider-Man films, um, to the point that Kirsten Dunst, as a natural blonde, dyed her hair for the Sam Raimi films. Um... And that was part of the pushback against Zendaya playing the character of MJ in the new Marvel Spider-Man films. But it was not the biggest part of the pushback. The biggest part of the pushback was a, you know, a non-white actress playing the character of MJ. And she's not even Mary Jane Watson. She's a new character. She's Michelle Jones. Who is sort of a composite character from a few different characters within the Spider-Man mythos. So, again, very, very interesting. You do also get, I think because you've also got a lot of this. Um, I think part of this pushback comes from a certain subset of the the white male um you know the white male fandom and i think part of the pushback comes from a more minority element within that which is generally the uh the sort of far right um you know there's there's quite a lot of overlap between geek culture and um you know some of the things consumed by far right people and some of the things consumed by incels especially um and some companies are pushing back against that some are not you know some aren't some are not trying to push away the more toxic elements of their fan bases some of them are um, one of my favourite ones is uh, Games Workshop. I've spoken about before, the British model company who owns the Warhammer uh, licence. Now, Warhammer, uh, one of their, one of the YouTubers uh, using the name Arch Warhammer um, was pointing out in, in Reddit posts that on his Discord, he share some quite racist rhetoric, um, which obviously kicked up a huge storm. Uh, Games Workshop got in touch with him, told him to remove Warhammer from his username on YouTube, um, basically threatening legal action if he didn't. 
And then when they got pushback from that, from his fandom, like his specific fans, they issued a press statement which basically said the Warhammer world is a big universe. If you don't, you know, we are we are moving to include more diversity in our game, which they have been, to be fair. There, there's a, a lot of their models were generally men. Um, they've started to include a a lot more female models and a lot more in their painted examples of especially of um minority characters uh you know non-white faces which is good i think that's a really great idea and i'm glad they're doing it it's taken them a while but i am glad they're doing it um but you know, part of that is because the modeling has changed, and it's and it's easier to do now. Um, for example, they they recently relaunched the whole Sisters of Battle line, and before they were kind of blocky models. Now they actually look like women. They have more slender frames, more detail to it. They actually they aren't just um, girl heads on kind of stocky bodies. They actually are feminine. Although still dressed head to toe in full armour with giant weapons that they can use to shoot you. Um, but yeah, Games Workshop statement says, Whatever happens, that is the Warhammer universe is big and you will not be missed. Which I thought was a great way of immediately disowning some of those more toxic elements in their fandom. And I wish some more companies would go to the efforts to do that. Some, for example, uh, fans of... Star Trek and Star Wars, some of the pushback against their newer entries um, from people crying social justice, um, you know, political correctness gone mad. You know, the sort of people that pushed Kelly Marie Tran off of Twitter um, for her portrayal of Rose Tico in The Last Jedi. I loved the character of Rose Tico. I thought she was a great character. And I thought Kelly Marie Tran did a brilliant job of playing her. She got some horrific abuse on Twitter. Um, Sinequa Martin-Green, uh, playing M Michael Burnham in Star Trek Discovery, has also received some horrific abuse um, in the role, as have the showrunners. Uh, Mary Wiseman as well, playing the character of uh, Ensign Tilly. So, yeah, I do think... I do wish there'd been some more... And John Boyega, oh my god, John Boyega, who plays Finn in, again, in the new Star Wars trilogy, some of the comments and abuse that he has shared, that he has received, it's, it's horrible. Absolutely horrible. And he's actually been quite open about the fact that Disney just kind of let it happen. And didn't really do anything to push back on it. And it's a shame that he has to make that statement. And I really wish that Disney and had said more to defend him. Um, he's not the only person who's called out a big corporation for, you know, poor handling of uh, racial characters. Another one was um, Ray Fisher who played the character of Cyborg for DC in the Justice League. He's, again, 
um, spoken about not just his his poor treatment as a black man at the hands of Joss Whedon, but also at the hands of um, Walter Hamada and other higher ups at DC. And it says something bad when about the companies that these show that are producing our content that they sort of allow these things to happen. So, yeah, and, and th there is pushback towards queer characters as well. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of, you know, the, again, to go back to the Arrowverse, the CW Arrowverse, they are very, very good at including um, in representing all, ty all types of people, but especially queer people. There is some very, very good queer representation across their shows, um, not just in uh, the flagship show Batwoman, uh, which features obviously a queer lead, two queer leads technically, because uh, Ruby Rose, who was playing Kate Kane in season one, um, left the show due to, among many things, again, some of the abuse that she faced for taking the role and also, I think, recovering from an onset injury. Um, but yeah, the character of Batgirl, the character of uh, Sarah Lance in Legends of Tomorrow, and her partner Ava Sharp. Um, they're both fantastic queer characters. I really like the um, the coming out story of Alex Danvers in Supergirl. I thought her coming out story was brilliantly done in season two um, of that show. Um, again, Supergirl has had a lot of pushback in general. Um, I will notice there's a, a lack of queer male representation in a lot of shows. A lot of shows in general. It's not just aimed at um, geek media. But for some reason it seems to be that... Um, I don't know, sort of lesbians are less threatening than gay men, I suppose. Or bisexual men. Um... Supergirl as well has also featured a trans character played by a trans actress. Um, and again, she's brilliant in the role. I, re I really like the character. I think she's brilliant. She's clearly had a hand in um, giving sort of, sort of her voice to the character behind the scenes as well. Um, which is helping for a quite rounded representation. And I think she's a very, very good character. Uh, character of Nia Nal, that is. I can't, I've forgotten the actress's name off the top of my head. Um, but yeah, she's very, very good. Um, she's also currently written um, her particular version of the character's first appearance in the comics recently for Pride Month. Um, which was nice to see that, again, her voice is helping to shape the story of that character. And I, I like that. I like that we're getting, you know, queer people, trans people, black people, women, you know, Latin people, etc. Writing and being shaping the stories of those characters in the media that we consume. Because I don't think representation is a bad thing. I think... 
I think greater representation behind what we see enables what we actually see to be better. I think that's the more important thing. It's not that we can't, it's not that people who aren't the same as these characters can't relate to them, but it's that they're portrayed better. And I think some of the pushback from certain audiences is not that these characters are being replaced by minorities, but that the minorities are being portrayed better and portrayed stronger in a lot of respects, stronger than what they've been led to expect from other media. And I think that's a good thing. It's That's challenging. And I like that. Um, to go back to what I said about gatekeeping towards children, um, I mean, it's not quite as serious as the others, but it does happen. Um, for example, I spoke in the previous episode about the comics industry and how a lot of comics have now sort of moved towards like an older audience, which has led to kind of the um, the misconception that comics were always aimed at an adult audience. And it's like, no, they were not. They were always aimed at children originally. In the Golden and Silver Age, comics were aimed towards children. That's why the McCarthy um, outrage, you know, against comics in the 50s happened is because the comics were telling war stories to children. <laughs> you know, it was, it was having a, a big effect on it. Um, you know, so I, th I don't think we can take the target audience away from children, but a lot of some adults will kind of see that as almost like a sanitization of what they've come to love by sort of diluting it for children. But children are always the target audience, always have been. You know, go back and read some old Silver Age and gold, Golden Age comics. They are goofy as hell. They are clearly designed for children. Some of them read like damn Looney Tunes cartoons. But with superheroes, it's ridiculous. <sighs> Can be inverted somewhat in that we're also getting now some older geek media being filtered towards children through newer medium. Um, it's kind of hard to explain what I, that, but the example I'm thinking of is Fortnite. Fortnite is uh, obviously a video game. It's very popular with children. Despite being a 12 plus game, it's very, very popular with younger children. Um, you know, its general audience is children and young adults. As a result, um, you know, because of its constant skins and the way the game works, it continually introduces new characters. And it has had a lot of guest characters over the years. There's been a lot of Marvel characters, some DC characters. There was John Wick. There was some characters from The Walking Dead. In one of their recent in-game events, they included characters from a lot of media. Um, 
So the Master Chief from Halo was in there. There were characters or references to uh, Predator, Tron, the Terminator, uh, Aliens, and so many other things. And now Rick and Morty's in there as well. There's, they're even now doing an interactive Fortnite experience telling the story of Martin Luther King. Which is phenomenal. It's a brilliant idea. I saw it advertised on... I saw it trending on Twitter. And it's like, I don't play Fortnite, but that is phenomenal. That's a really good idea. Teach. Use, using Fortnite almost as a, a teaching mechanism. Um, I've said before that I work in a toy shop. Um, our toy shop recently has started selling uh, figures for the Predator. Um... And so we have had kids in who see the Predator on the shelf and go, oh, it's the Predator from Fortnite. And obviously, to us, you know, some, some members of my audience will be like, oh, they don't know what the Predator is. But they do. They may not have seen the Predator films, but they know the Predator. To me, that's really cool because these are kids who aren't old enough to see the Predator in the movies, but they know the character of the Predator. So when they are old enough, they'll go and watch the Predator films. And that's how films, older films especially, stay popular. You know, it was a similar sort of thing when Robocop made his way into Mortal Kombat. People went and saw Robocop. Some people went and saw it for the first time. They'd never seen it before, but suddenly Robocop was in Mortal Kombat, voiced by the original actor in Mortal Kombat 11 as a DLC. So people went to watch it. And to me, that's brilliant. I think I'd rather see that kind of inclusion. I'd rather see audiences finding things for the first time, however they find it. You know, there are always going to be some people who have seen Star Wars for the first time, which is why it's often debated about how to watch the movies for the first time. My personal view, the machete order. Watch episode four, uh, Star Wars A New Hope. Then watch Empire Strikes Back. Then watch the prequels. Episode one is optional as a flashback. And then Return of the Jedi ties together the plot lines of Luke and Anakin perfectly. It's fantastic. The only way to watch the original six. If you add in the sequels to that, you'd then obviously put the sequels later on. But you'd put Rogue One right at the start. So you go from Rogue One straight into Star Wars. Then do the prequels. Then do Return of the Jedi. Then do the sequels. That's how I'd watch it. And, you, you know, we have this discussion. What's the best way to watch the Star Wars trilogy? you know what to watch the star wars film because we know some people are always going to be watching them for the first time you know so having references to older media that is you know generally amazing but might be forgotten by audiences especially with the the age of streaming some old films like i was going to say planet of the apes but planet of the apes has recently been added to disney plus because of the fox buyout but before then, I don't think that was on streaming services anywhere. But now you can watch it on streaming. So if you put 
you know, that will pop up in someone's newsfeed. And they'll go, oh, I might watch that. Um, you know, this is another reason why remakes and reboots can be important. Because they keep these characters in the consciousness. Especially if those reboots are also sequels to the original. Like, for example, the new Candyman film or the upcoming Ghostbusters film. You know, it keeps people talking about it. So, yeah, gatekeeping is a very varied topic. There's lots of groups that can be... that can receive pushback going into geek, into fandom spaces. And I think the most important thing is to try and combat that as best we can, if we want to. Um, you know, we want to see more people in geek spaces, in fandom spaces. And I think the internet has helped with that. Places like Reddit, where it's more anonymous. Um, the only problem is that that also enables the pushback because people get a lot braver when behind a keyboard without their face showing. But, you know, Reddit, for example, has no pictures. So you can comment. No one knows if you're male, female, queer, straight, black, white, brown. No one knows a damn thing. And that's good. Because that means you get discussion between all types of people. But it also does mean that sometimes certain groups can see more pushback against their characteristics. For example, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of the Saints Row video game series. The recent trailer dropped and received a lot of hate online specifically for the characters um the the generic boss that has been shown off for the you know the customizable player character um the, the default one that's been shown off is a young black woman and that has received a lot of hate in that saints row reddit so you know I can imagine women in there and black people in there being very hurt seeing some of the vitriol that's pouring from some of these people. Which is why I'm doing my best to try and call it out as best as I can. Um, but obviously that in itself becomes a, a draining, taxing exercise. Um... So I I'm not sure what the right answer is. I'm really not. <laughs> I, I do think just do your best to be welcoming and try not to judge people. A lot of these people have the same interests as us, no matter what their age or background or characteristics. And don't be a dick to people. Unless it's a person who's already being a dick to someone else. I'd quite happily call out someone who's acting, you know, who's spouting far-right rhetoric or being racist or sexist or homophobic or transphobic. 
I'm more than happy to call out someone like that, but I'm not going to call out someone for being any of those things. I'm not going to be those things myself. You know, I'm not going to be homophobic or racist or sexist or transphobic. You know, I'm not going to, to judge women or children or minority people or queer people in a geek's fandom space. Because, yeah, I don't see the point. So now is the part of the episode where I'd like to introduce my co-host. That's my wife, Tallulah. Hello. Hi. Uh, I thought uh, you'd be willing to join us for more of a, give sort of a female uh, view on some of the things we're going to talk about. Okay, sure. I'd love to. Um, I'm not really what you would consider a geek. I always call myself a geek by osmosis. (laughs) <laughs> because it's not necessarily osmosis all... itself being a scientific well, <laughs> term oh, <so>. you. <laughs> well it's not necessarily that I'm so much into the geek culture personally but I've learnt a lot from you mm-hmm. and a lot of my fandoms are ones that you've introduced me to yeah, rather true. than I've discovered on my own yeah. which I think actually might be a thing when it comes to gatekeeping because it's very nerve wracking for a woman especially I'm not a young woman now, but you know, as a teenager or as a woman in my twenties, going into a store like, uh, you know, a game store, comic book shop, something like that, yeah. and not knowing, yeah, it's very nerve wracking, and you're greeted with walls and walls and walls of comics, and then the yeah. big thick graphic novels and collections, and yeah. you say, I want a Spider Man. Yeah. Without realising yeah. that there's four or five different. So were you, were you the, uh, the the archetypical uh, girl in the comic store who who doesn't know anything and is like, what what do I do? Who do, who do I talk to? What do I find? Yeah. Well, I'm a very very awkward person anyway. Well, yeah, I know. And that just makes it far more awkward for me. <laughs> so it's one of those where I've learnt to like a lot of this stuff sort of later in life, following the people that I've been friends with over time yeah okay that makes sense well, thanks for introducing yourself and well, let's crack on okay so I suppose um, I mean I've, I've spoken about some things already about mm-hmm. like uh, tropes towards yeah. women in geek culture mm-hmm. and uh, things like that but I suppose one of the big things that you I know wanted to talk about was like the objectification of female characters yeah and I know in myself, that's a bit of a stereotype, isn't it? Like, the woman, oh, like, these women are all objectified and they're all sex <laughs> objects. Um, but I do think that there are some valid points there. No, definitely. Um, I mean, it's something that's kind of all over the place um, in the depiction of female characters, in outfits especially, yeah. is the one that stands yeah. out to me. I mean, even... In many ways. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, even from like modern superheroes like uh, Supergirl or Wonder Woman yeah. with the, the short skirts or the tiny yeah. pants, all the way going back to like yeah. Edgar, Bar- Edgar Rice Burroughs with um, uh, John Carter of Mars with mm. Deja Thoris being basically described as naked apart from her jewellery. Yeah. So. Oh, their jewellery trope. Don't get me started <laughs> on the jewellery trope. Because if nothing else, she's a 
badass warrior woman, okay? Yes, yes. And they're all muscled and lean and athletic and they're going out to fight a battle. And how long do you think it takes to put that much jewellery on? <laughs> and especially because a lot of Do you think you have like... to pin it in place? Oh, ow, ooh, ouch. <laughs> Um, but, you know, a lot of them have got, like, talons as well. And it's like, have you ever tried to do up a jewellery clasp with long nails? Yeah. And it's like, that's just, just going to slow them down. <laughs> it's, And I understand it's a power fantasy. Yes. And it's like, who was it was talking about the power fantasy with the... Uh, Patty Jenkins said with Wonder Woman that she wanted Wonder Woman to um, have shaven armpits, which is something that a lot of women pointed yeah. out in the trailers. And to wear the high heels yeah. because she that was her power fantasy as the director. Yeah. Um, but I think usually the power fantasy is seen as it's a male power fantasy. Yeah. The the male characters are people that you want to be and the female characters are women that you want. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. And I mean Does it I put can... you off as as a woman going into to geek media when you see women like that? Of, because there's a, a lot less variation. I think, yes. in how the female heroes look. Mm. And it's like, yes, I get the majority of male heroes are, you know, the inverted triangle with the wide shoulders and the narrow waist and the abs for days. and Yeah. Um, but at least their costumes can look different. Yes. And from a silhouette, you can tell the difference between Spider-Man, Batman, Thor. Mm. You know, there's a very different sort of, like, image to them. Whereas yeah. the majority of female superheroes, they're in a catsuit and block high heels and yes. their hair down. Yeah. And you probably couldn't tell them in silhouette so much. Do you think some of the... Because I, I, I know I, I do. I think some of the women in some stories that I can think of sort of come across as more decorative almost, like mm. they're to be seen and not oh, yeah, heard. Oh, yeah, set dressing. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think... Not so much now, mm. although occasionally there are... There's still you know, certain still, examples, Still yeah. examples, thank you, I couldn't think of the word. But <laughs> um, going back historically, yeah, I think a lot of them were yeah. set dressing. See, the one to me that springs in mind is not so much comic book characters, but some of the sort of 70s sci-fi characters yeah. that you got. Um, for in example, well, I was thinking more Logan's Run. Um, mm, Jenny Agatha yes. in Logan's Run is basically wearing a sheer green fabric, yeah. and Farrah Fawcett's wearing something very similar, and they're yeah. both very beautiful women. Yeah. But and yes, Jenny Agatha's character does kind of motivate the plot, but the plot is focused on Logan yeah. and his story, and she's just yeah. an accessory to it's, it. Yeah, yeah. It's, the plot's not about her so much as she's mm. the driver of the plot. Yeah, like. How um, Alfred Hitchcock used to have the MacGuffin. Yes. Um, oh, gosh, I've just offended Jenny Agatha, haven't I? <laughs> Called her a MacGuffin. <laughs> um, a sexy MacGuffin. <laughs> That's all that matters, surely, that she's a sexy MacGuffin. Um, that needs to be the title for this show, doesn't it? Sexy MacGuffin. Um, but no, anyway, I think as a woman, <laughs> and Go on. as a mother. <laughs> yes. Would someone think of the children? Um, I do think that there should be more variation in type and have it more so that, yes, maybe one outfit choice is empowering, mm. but have it so it is that hero's choice. Yes. Which means for another, maybe that's 
not empowering so therefore they won't wear it like for example um take um scarlet witch in the latest one division yes her final outfit where she's in like comic book scarlet witch yes that was very obviously her choice yeah you know she's like i am the scarlet witch boom i'm gonna break out this outfit yeah and that was her you know her choice her character-led choice well that there was also some behind the scenes things with that oh, as well yeah. like elizabeth olsen was quite pointed about the fact that her previous outfit was the only one that kind of had cleavage yeah and i think she wanted to get rid of that as yeah. well so the, there's no cleavage in this outfit it's a halter yeah. neck and i think that works better yeah. for that as well um, but the thing I also, because I didn't know know that. Yeah, no, she she spoke out about it. Um, I don't know if that's why they changed it or yeah. if that, that was another decision as well. Um, but yeah, because obviously her previous one was like the corset yeah. jacket. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, which if they made him plus size, I would totally wear. <laughs> um, but I think what I liked about that is that she had been prior to that badass fighting. Am I allowed to mention the name of the villain? Is that a spoiler? Oh, in in one division, yeah. it's been out since January, I okay. think. Most, so, and know, I have spoken about it before, so I think most people have got it. She's fighting Agatha Harkness, and she's in sweatpants. Yeah, you know she's, and she's still, you know. Oh, well, cool well, she's and fighting it in her in her civvies, yeah. Yeah, but she's powerful, but she's not the power fantasy. Mm. Okay. Um, and see, I didn't think of it that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, as someone who spends a lot of her time in sweatpants, <laughs> it makes sense. She's comfortable. When you're well, not yeah. distracted by being uncomfortable, you fight better. I think as well, because it came so quickly off the back of the, the 2000s episode well, yeah. from the sitcom. So she's um, in very modern yeah. mum clothes. But still, I think it's cool, you know. It is cool. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's one of those where, because that was her choice and because it's very similar to what she wore when she was in the 1960s when she was the magician's assistant which is more accurate to her comic outfit yeah, yeah. it's a callback yeah um similarly one that everyone they're like oh i don't know why they you know why did they have to do that was the um oh i've forgotten what you call them in wonder woman the women in Themyscira. oh um are you talking about how in Wonder how Woman they've all they've got their abs out in Justice League? Yeah, yeah. Um, Zack Snyder um, did that. But I, I don't, I, I see, don't know why he did that. To be I'm honest, I'm not sure. I mean, as far as armor goes, it's completely impractical because you know that mm. a lot of your squishy bits are there. Yes, but it shows just how strong they are because they've got absolutely ripped abs. Yes, and it's a good visual demonstration of strength, and it's not. For me, at least. So I does that work for you, for you as well, yeah. then? I okay. didn't think it was sexy. I thought it was a visual shorthand for these women are strong. See, I took it as... Because I really like the costume design in Wonder Woman, the mm -hmm. first one. Um, I, but then to go from that amazing Amazonian armour... Amazons, there we go. There we go. <laughs> um, Thank you. Because <laughs> the, the one that sprang out to me in the first film, especially, was Antiope. Mm. Um, and how she's she's fully clothed and yeah. she kicks ass. Yeah. Um, oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> yes. And then, but then the you have a lot of the same actresses come mm. back as the Amazonians in yeah. Justice League, but now they're in very different outfits. Yeah. 
um, with the exception of Hippolyta, they now all got their midriff showing. And for yeah. me, that felt that felt to me like a good example of the film being shot from a male gaze as opposed to a female gaze. Yeah, now I see your point. But actually, seeing your way of saying yeah. it, well, no, they're actually looking really strong because you yeah. can see the abs, you can see the muscle. Yeah, and I'm like, yeah, okay, I yeah, didn't you know, the same that. way Thor's shirtless. Yes. Because um, he's, you know, ripped. Yeah. See, to, see, to me, that, that feeds into the power fantasy yeah. of... Let's the... just say, if I'd been doing crunches, I'd want the world to see. See, I think I think the the one for Thor that a lot of women like is uh, Thor in the, the big comfy... Oh, yeah. Uh, comfy <laughs> outfits. Like yeah. when he's... Uh, uh, except for the fact that he looks like he smells in <laughs> Avengers Endgame yeah, where he's doing it. that's true. But... but then he's also got that poncho in Thor The Dark World, which I think was... a designed to yeah. make him look more cuddly to a lot of people yeah or there's one i think it's in infinity war when he goes to see dr strange and he's in a hoodie yes yeah and uh, no, a ragnarok you mean ragnarok okay sorry yeah. <laughs> I, I get my seams confused but you know what I, mean. <laughs> I do know the, You're one you mean. the geek dictionary so i'm sitting safe hands with you yes but, uh, um i've gone completely off topic yeah with the abs, though, for me, that is like a visual shorthand for this woman is strong, mm. this woman is powerful. When it comes to something like, ugh, the boob window. Ah, power is, girl with the boob is, window, this yeah. this woman is sexy. Or yes. this woman is a woman. Have you heard the justification for it? Have I ever told no. you that? The justification in the comics, or, or, or it's a panel that I've seen floating around the internet. I'm not sure what comic mm. it's actually from. Um, but she says to Clark something like, oh... I was going to put a, an S there like you did. Um, but then, because, you know, the idea of Power yeah. Girl, she's an alternate reality version of Supergirl. Yeah. So, again, she comes to Earth later yeah. on and Clark's already established. She was like, I was going to put an S, a symbol there like you did. Um, but I could never find anything that kind of lived up to it. Oh. Um, so she just left it blank. Yeah. And I'm like, that was a really flimsy well, excuse. Blank, wouldn't you have blank spandex like, there? Blank, you blank have, fabric, yeah. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't actively cut out uh, mm. a window to your squishy bits. Because let's face it, they're vulnerable bits. If, and I'm not even talking boobs. Like your sternum, your chest, your lungs. Everywhere well, they show yeah, in a boob I mean, window, it, it's people, target. People could argue, yeah, okay, she's invulnerable because she's power girl. Yeah. But at the same time, you know... Superman got punched to death by Doomsday. So it is possible yeah. for a Kryptonian to be severely injured. And also, she's not the only one that has the cutout there. It's like no. um, uh, in the Fantastic Four. Sue has got the four. Oh, that like number reverse four, four reverse. Oh, that was awful. That was, that was so bad. It visually 90s comics were a nightmare. <laughs> visually, it doesn't even look appealing. No. It's like, you know, I I love a good pair of boobs as much as the next person. Everybody likes boobs. Yeah. But at least that's somewhat visually appealing, but a cutout four It just looked awkward because look it didn't nice. make a it didn't make a it didn't make a normal cleavage and it's it's not even about her being a mother with the outfit that she was wearing, because it's like, you know, mums can be sexy. Yeah. Um but it was just it was just a bizarre choice to have like an inverted four yeah um although one inverted costume that i did like um uh, which did a similar sort of things to the boob window is the reverse x oh, that yeah, emma frost had that. yeah but to me that one fit emma frost's character mm. yeah which is why i could justify it because emma frost she's 
she's one of the few comic book characters who's openly admitted to having plastic surgery. Yeah. Like, she's had cosmetic surgery yeah. on her nose, her breasts, her butt. Yeah. So it's like, yes, she's got a figure she's paid money for, yeah. and now it turns to fucking diamonds. Yeah. So why not show it yeah, off? Yeah, exactly. Um, and to me, that, that fit with her character, because she's always been shown in underwear anyway, yeah. so... Because um, you do get as well, sort of like you tend to get the sexification, that's a new word, of like female characters from comic book to film adaptation as well. Mm. And of course, it's one of those where it's like, well, why, because it's on a big screen, does it have to be sexier? And I mean, some things I understand, like um, high heels, for example, everyone's like, oh, why does Black Widow wear high heels? Mm. And it's because um, Scarlett Johansson's five feet tall. Yeah. So for her to be logistically, up that's her, the the main reason it happens. Six foot plus co-worker, she has to be in heels. Yeah. That I understand. And although uh, saying that, Robert Downey Jr. wears lifts as well. Yeah. To, well because he's, he's also got shorter. Six foot plus co-workers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, his is less of an ego thing yeah. than it is with, like, Tom Cruise, for example. Yeah. But, um, or Humphrey Bogart. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's a definite, yeah, wearing the lifts and the yeah. heels to... Yeah, I don't so... know. I do, do think some of the adaptations to film have done quite well with it. Like, the X-Men mm. movies, for example. Yeah. They're all wearing proper leather costumes. Yeah. Um, Captain Marvel, Black Widow have got pretty much head-to-toe outfits. Yeah. So, they look more practical, yeah. I think, than they could have. Because it's like, could you imagine if they'd have done Captain Marvel with her old Miss Marvel outfit? You know, the yeah. black swimsuit with the lightning bolts. Yeah. It's like, I like that costume in the comic page, yeah. but I don't think it would have worked in, on the big um, screen. Because I don't think it would have worked for Captain Marvel either. For no. Because, um, and this is something I was thinking about, and it might lead into it, but... In many ways, she's quite a, quote-unquote, doing air quotes, manly woman. Yes. You know, she's got a, again, quote, That's why a lot job. of the internet doesn't like her. <laughs> um, see, that's why I think she's awesome. Yeah. Um, and that's why I think it's more appealing to, because she then appeals to a wider range of women. Yes. You know. Um, but at the same time, she's got the covered-up practical costume. Mm-hmm. And she's also portrayed as being a lot less traditionally feminine. Yeah. To the point where, as a civilian, she has a what you consider a masculine job. Yeah. No. She's a fighter pilot, isn't fighter she? Fighter pilot, yeah. Um, and don't get me wrong, I love Carol Danvers. I really do. For a mm. while, I had my hair like her. You know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, and I think it's one of these where the female character can be. Sexy or badass. And not both. And not both. Although you do get the certain subset of characters who are the badass. Like, um, I think, thinking of like Kira in mm. um, Star Trek New Swiss 9, yeah. Starbuck yeah. in Battlestar Galactica, Ripley, Sarah yeah. Connor. Yeah. And, well, but they tend to be framed in a very, very yeah. different way where they're not beautiful. Yeah. Although even then, yeah. it's like if you look at someone like Starbuck, yes. for the most part, she's one of the guys. Yeah, you she's know, in the she, fatigues for most fights, of the things. She yeah. spits, she drinks, she smokes cigars, she plays poker, Yeah, you know, she gambles. She's one of the guys. Yeah. 
Um, and I think Leah Dahmer actually comments on how the fact she smells. <laughs> yes. She says, oh, have you got a problem with my hygiene? Yeah, I think I remember that scene. That's quite funny. Later on, that very... And don't get me wrong, um, Katie, it's Katie Sackhoff, isn't Katie it? Katie Sackhoff, yes. She's a gorgeous woman. Yes. She really is beautiful, but she, she's played as Starbuck, Starbuck? Starbuck. Starbuck as one of the guys. Yeah. Later in that same episode where she says, do you have a problem with my hygiene? They're yeah. at a party... And she shows up and she has the the camera reveal someone move out of her way. Oh my gosh, she's in a dress and she's beautiful moment. Yeah, the kind and, of Disney princess yeah. moment. Yeah, and yeah. she looks beautiful. She really yeah. does. And oh, she's no, got she her does. hair done and, you know, she's got a dress and she comments on me in a dress as a once it's, in a lifetime It's a flashback episode, I think, as well, isn't it? So doesn't she have different hair? I think she's, she's got longer hair in the flashback. Possibly. But it's yeah. just the fact that, you know... And all of a sudden... Because I seem to remember her from, having it styled. Yeah, so. it's curly, I think. Yeah. But she goes from being one of the guys to... Uh, <gasps> yeah, and then know. Leah Dahmer does that whole thing where now he sees her as yeah. a romantic interest, yeah. whereas he never and did before. Yeah, and it's like before they were friends. Mm. They were Well, they were brothers, really. You know, yes. brothers in arms type... Yeah. Um, I'm so glad you're not recording this. <laughs> With the actions I'm doing, I'm so glad I'm video. <laughs> oh, like actually video yeah. recording. No, that comes um, that that will come in the future, maybe. Oh, um. um but I think and the same thing happens with Oh, who else did you mention? Because I was thinking of somebody in the uh, Ripley was one, Kira. Oh, Kira and Dax. Yes. Now I love Deep Space Nine. Like I, I'm Yeah. Not quite at the point of Trekker, but I, I but will, Deep Space Nine yeah. is different. <laughs> I will re-watch Deep Space Nine over and over. And growing yeah. up as a little girl, I used to watch it with my dad. Um, yeah. Hi, Dad. <laughs> he listens to this. Oh, okay. Um, and um, Jadzia was always my favourite. Yes. Always my favourite. And she's an interesting one because she's biologically female. Yes. Um, but, but the, the Dax symbiont gives her... Life as a male. Yeah. And she's... She's she's badass, you know. She can go hand to hand in battle with Klingons. Yes. Um, like I think, I think the first episode where you see her fight Worf is pretty yeah. awesome. Like and, the, um, you know, she gives him gives him uh, she ribs him for his the weapon he's using. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then for the uh, weapon he's using. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then she has the holodeck create her yeah. a new one, uh, and he's like, mm, a warrior's blade. And she's like, yeah, yeah it's mine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and. You know, and she's... I think LeVar Burton called her Action Barbie. Yes. Um, <laughs> Which is uh, a nickname that Terry Farrell totally yeah. embraced. Um, and it was because... It, it, that was on the episode Blood Feud, I think yes. it was. Or Blood Oath, sorry. Yeah. With the Klingons. That was the, the one that he directed and he yeah. called her Action Barbie on that. And um, then she stuck with yeah. that uh, right up until she left the show. And so. again, Jadzia, she's portrayed as like... Like, for example... She hangs out in Quark, she plays Darbo, she... Yes. You know, she's, in many ways, she's one of the guys, and she's very, very it, smart. Uh, and... What's the what's the, the Ferengi game that she keeps beating all the Ferengi at? Honestly, like, uh, Tonga? Tonga? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's, she's smart, and she's so cool. And as a little girl, I just loved her, and the same with Kira. I mean, spade a spade, Kira's a freedom fighter. And not necessarily an ethical one. No. You know. Like, she freely admits she was a terrorist. But she was a terrorist to 
she was a terrorist against space Nazis. Yeah. So, so it's like, you know, you know she was a good terrorist. terrorist. <laughs> yeah. She ain't showing me coke. <laughs> um, and yeah, again, she's so cool. She's badass. She's military. She can go up. She can fight toe to toe with any one of the guys there. And she's got that awesome pixie haircut yeah, as well. Better than some of the guys there. Yeah. You know, and they are both strong, tough, like warrior women. And they both wear, especially in the first seasons, standard uniform. Yes. Like Drax's uniform is a standard uniform. They've tailored it at the waist, but... Yeah. I mean, you know, they, she's not they, in the skirt. they tailored it at the waist and she had one of those amazing Star Trek push-up bras that kind yeah. of sculpts everything. Yeah. Like Penny Johnson, who plays Cassidy in the same series, she said that Star Trek gave her the best bras she yeah. has ever worn. Yeah. Do you think she smuggled any home? She did. She stole some. <laughs> Brilliant. She admitted it. She says, "Yeah, she stole. She stole quite a few. Yeah. She did it in an interview where she was working on the Orville. Yeah, and she was said, yeah, she stole a load of the bras yeah. and just took them. Oh, I love that. I should have talked but, about the Orville last episode yeah. as well, where I was talking about geek culture. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that one. Never yeah. mind. You can do a whole episode on it. Oh, I probably will. I have to watch catch up with season two first. Yeah, but the thing is, if you look at both of them, mm. they both. Oh, excuse me. Let's try that again. I swallowed a sneeze. I was going to sneeze and didn't want to ruin my throat. Flow. <laughs> um, but yeah, if you look at both of them, they still have the sexy, beautiful moments. Like yes. In the episode where Luaxana is going through um, menopause. Oh, like Beta Z menopause. And, and everyone she's... falls in love with each yeah. other. I think you see both Jadzia and Kira like scantily clad, leaning on the bed. like. Not. I don't think they're ever scantily clad, but they're both... They both definitely get kind of a more a more sex object yeah. at the moment. And like, you know, they're both doing like the recline and you get the soft focus lens and the deep yeah. voice and the, the Bethany body. Well Jadzi is kind of pouring at um Cisco and and Kira and Bashir are just aggressively making out yeah. in the corner. Or um, you know, and you see it in others as well, like um Dax ends up in her swimsuit on Riser. Yes. And Morph says, I've never seen anything more beautiful. Or, you know. See, that worked for me as a teenager <laughs> because I, Terry Farrell's a beautiful woman oh, and right. I was always curious about how far those spots went down. So All the way down. All the way down. But it's one of those <laughs> where you never see the men in a similar situation. No. In the one with Loaxana I was talking about, the men yes. fall in love, but it's goofy love. Yeah, Beryl and Quark both get very, you know, they're bringing flowers and being dorky yeah. and kind of, oh, I like you. It's childish um, love, it's not sexy love. Yeah. And I don't think, I mean, obviously, you see um, Kirk with his shirt off all the time, mm. um, but you don't necessarily see, again, it's not a sexy shirtless moment, it's not no. a seductive shirtless moment, it's a look at my musculature musculature shirtless moment i'm so tough me being warrior yeah um and it's like yes these women they are i hate the term badass i really do (laughs) they are strong powerful confident smart intelligent warrior women but they still have to be shown as sexy yeah i I, I think all female characters in Geek shows, especially, they're all kind of unified. I mean, it's it's true of a lot of television um, in general, but I think a lot of in sci-fi properties, especially, especially, a lot of the female characters are kind of unified by being um, 
you know, attractive, like yeah. traditionally attractive. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, attractiveness is a matter of opinion and a matter of perspective on, and it's relative to each individual. But I think there's definitely a generic tone to get every feminine character being sexy and attractive. Yeah. Unless, of course, it's inappropriate for them to do so. Yeah. Um, I mean, even looking at modern Star Trek, there's, yeah. for example, Mary Wiseman, who plays Tilly. Now, mm. she's a very... She's got a... She's a much more curvaceous yeah. figure than previous Star yeah. Trek oh, women. Gosh, Tilly's my favourite. I love Tilly. <laughs> she um, but she's she's obviously got a much more curvaceous figure yeah. than the standard female yeah. Starfleet officer. Yeah. But she's still attractive. Yeah. And she still has stories. I don't, I don't think she's ever had the dramatic sexy reveal or anything. Yeah. But she's still, you know, for as much as she's a goofball, she's still attractive. Yeah. Um. She's not, I mean, she's never portrayed as sexy in the same way yeah. that like... Um, uh, Sonequa Martin Green as uh, Michael Burnham yeah. is, but then at the same time when they do go to the Mirror Universe and you get mm. Mary Wiseman as Captain Killy, yeah. Um, again, she's got the sex. She's got the uh, her, her frizzy hair has been straightened, yeah, and she looks badass. She's in the leather yeah. uniform. She's in the command chair. And don't even get me started on the whole. Oh, the Mirror must, Universe being sexy. No, it's more you know the whole. You must have your hair straight, and you must. Remove any trace of individuality. <laughs> you, know, you must have your curly hair because her mane is amazing. Yes, but it's like no, she she's sexy and evil. It must be straight. <laughs> um. <laughs> I mean, the mirror universe in Star Trek does kind of give those sort of makeovers to oh, characters. Yeah, I mean the makeover. Evil that, beard. <laughs> well, the makeover that Kira got into the Intendant, yeah. for example, she's in the leather outfit. Yeah. She's got the goth makeup. Her hair's been. I don't think it was straightened, but they definitely did something to yeah. it because intending Kira does have different hair to yeah. normal Kira. They made it softer. Is that what it, it is? Was, well, because especially early seasons, Kira, her hair's very, very severe. And as yeah. her story progresses, it does get softer. Yes. Because Ducat mentions it in one of, I think it's even the last season. And he says, oh, your hair, you've changed it. And this yeah. is when he was bizarre. And so she was like, oh, your ear, you've pierced it. Yeah. But her hair gets softer, it gets longer, and she gets like a side, like a side. She gets part. like a side sweep, doesn't she? Yeah. Um, but in the first series, especially, she's got a very, very severe, short, mm. spiky, like military hairstyle. Mm. And I think when she's in the mirror universe, they don't. It's not longer, but it's softer. Yeah. Um, and it's less rigid, less controlled. But yeah, I think there's a definite. There's a definite shift for all all heroic characters definitely yeah. to be attractive. I, I did see a, it was a comic book based post and they were talking about um, ugly characters yeah. and like female characters are ugly. Yeah. And they were, it was specifically X Men focused mm. and they were talking about the character Marrow, who I've shown you oh, pictures with of. Bones. With the bones. Yeah. She's got all the bones sticking out of her. And when she was a Morlock, she was very ugly. She yeah. had like, the bones sticking out of her head and everything. Then um, she and like she didn't have a full head of hair either. She was very kind of yeah. tall and gaunt and gangly. Then um, she joins the X Men, but she still got the same mutation. Yeah. But they did pretty her up, and now she's got a kind of a pixie cut. Yeah. Uh, well, sort of halfway between pixie cut and a bob cut. Yeah. Uh, not a bob cut. You, uh, you know, military. Yeah. Military cut. Um, um, yeah. Um, but she's still got the. The kind of aggressive bones and the sour attitude. Yeah. 
then about a year or so later she went through a machine mm. which sort of cured her of her mutations and now her bones are in these elaborate curling Ooh, yeah things and she's much prettier yeah and yeah it was it was a bizarre one and then yeah. not long afterwards she left the x-men and became evil again yeah. and all of a sudden she was back to looking like she had yeah like she was at the start of her run on the X Men, yeah. where she was, she'd lost the control of her bones yeah. again. Could that be another one of those visual shorthand things? I think it is, you know. Um, and some would say it's a lazy way out, but yeah. a lot of what we're discussing is a visual medium. Well, yeah, with comic um, books especially. And sometimes you do need that. Plus, maybe the angles were easier to draw. Oh, angles on female characters. Some of them just. Beggar belief yeah. in comic books. Oh, and then you get the Hawkeye effect. What oh, the Hawkeye the Hawkeye project. project. Yeah. <laughs> Love the Hawkeye project. For people that don't know, the Hawkeye project is basically taking any pose that an artist will draw a female character in and argue that it's empowering for the, the female to be in that pose. Um, and basically drawing the exact same pose, but with Hawkeye. And I'm not sure how Hawkeye became the mascot rather no. than, say, Wolverine. <laughs> Uh, I think Wolverine was doing it originally, yeah. and they were doing things like literally giving him the same costume. Yeah. So then you had, like, for example, he was standing there as Psylocke, and he had her one piece yeah. with the thong, and he had his hairy ass hanging out. <laughs> um, which was hilarious. But then eventually they started doing it with um, Hawkeye. Yeah. Um, so, for example, there was the very famous... not as hairy. Yeah. <laughs> there was a very famous one with... It was a Spider-Woman cover. And the artist, the artist is kind of grotesque in the way he draws. Mm. He drew a picture for, I want to say Frank Miller. Um, because Frank Miller's joined some kind of group that's speaking out about um, sort of PC culture yeah. and woke culture in yeah. comic books. Because, yeah, Frank Miller's an arse and yeah, used to be good once. Don't get me started. Um, but yes, this picture that he drew off Spider-Woman for Frank Miller... Mm -hmm was sort of inspired by this one that he'd drawn from Marvel, which yeah. got uh, removed. And But in this one, he's she's he's actually drawn like... Her her costume doesn't mm. look like a costume. She's in the traditional... Oh, looks, the red, red and yellow. yellow. She's yeah. in the traditional red and yellow costume. But it doesn't look like a costume. It looks more like she's had yeah. her skin painted and while completely naked. You, you know she's had a Hollywood wax. Yeah, <laughs> you see, you see in, intimate, one. gratuitous levels of yeah. detail that you couldn't get away with in a comic book. But then the actual cover that he had was Spider Woman posing on a roof, and at first hand you could say, okay, well that would work because she's kind of crouched down yeah. and hunched over and on all fours. Um, and it's like, yeah, okay, it's a spidery sort of yeah. pose. Spider Man would take that sort of pose. The difference was. He'd very deliberately given her the standard Valentine's heart butt. Yeah. And that was quite prominent at the top of the image. Yeah. Oh, I think you've shown it with, to me. Yeah, with yeah. the shape of the cheeks. Yeah. All around. Oh, it was it was very bizarre. Yeah, for and her butt to show how it was, her legs would have had to have been three feet tall. on, Like, her thighs would have been three feet tall on their own to get the angle. Yes. Because her bum was sticking up above her head. Her, her, bum, was, her bum was sticking up and it was spread. Yeah, is the best way to describe Charming. it. Yeah. Oh, she was she was more than flossing with that. Um, Comic books are for kids. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and there was a bit of an uproar about it, quite deservedly, and Marvel pulled the cover, and then the actor, uh, the, the artist, was very, very pissed off. Um, and then, obviously, one of the other classic ones that people go to regarding objectification is probably Slave Leia. Yes. What's in your What's the, your opinion on Slave in Leia? The bikini. Yes. I actually think if you look at it with modern eyes, it's actually quite a tame outfit. Yeah. Because you know, like she's got panels, she's got a full bra, not just pasties, and she's yes. got the panels in front and back. That yeah, wipe yeah. Off the... Her legs and. Mm. Um. I mean, it, it's, it's it's a revealing outfit, and there was a bit of an uproar a couple of years ago. When Disney said they weren't making any merchandise off Slave yeah. Leia. And it was while still Carrie Fisher was still yeah. alive. And um, I think she actually responded, well, good. Yeah. You know, you shouldn't but be she, objectifying she that. She hated that outfit. Well, she hated that outfit. She described it. I mean, for starters, it was made with quite hard material. Yeah. Um, so she found it very uncomfortable. Yeah. So did the stunt double. Um and also, she was pretty much naked underneath yeah. it because she couldn't wear anything with yeah. it. Um, Didn't she say, like, from the right angle you could see Florida or something? Yes, <laughs> I think that was how she described it. Yeah. She did She did do a photo shoot around the time in the outfit, in the yeah. waves. It's a very nice photo shoot, and she clearly looks like she's having fun. Yeah. Um, but So I don't know if her opinion changed as she got older. Maybe. Um, and became more acerbic towards yeah. it. But at the same time, she's also seems very proud of her work in Star yeah. Wars in general. And yeah. um, like someone did say to her on Twitter something along the lines of, um, oh, how would I explain the Slave Leia outfit to my, to my children? And she said, well, explain that an evil alien space slug made me wear that outfit and I killed him for it. Yeah. See, that's, that's the thing that's really cool. Yeah. Like, she killed him for it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. The outfit itself, like, again, it's the whole, it comes back to the fantasies thing. In that particular point in time, she was not in a position of power. No. So that's not playing into a power fantasy, maybe so much as, well, the slave layer fantasy, because, you know, yeah. she's a beautiful woman. Um. Well, I mean, but, I was going to say, Star Wars is generally a fantasy story, yeah. isn't it? It's the hero's journey fantasy story. Yeah. So she was a princess who's now been captured by the enemy and is now a slave, and she's the damsel in distress. Yeah. So, yeah. Go and on, what were you going to say? It's one of those where, in some ways, it is sort of, it's objectionable because it is making her set dressing. Yes. You know, she's this beautiful woman in a skimpy outfit and oh look isn't it titillating yes however i can understand it because at that moment in time that outfit wasn't intended as an action outfit yes no, you know, no that's a, it was written in as a she's a slave she is she's my slave she's eye candy well yeah um you know it it got awkward when she did actually then go on to perform action stunts in it and stuff yeah but i think the action but, stunts were part of an impromptu escape yeah. so <laughs> um but it's the difference in design it's more when you get the superheroes and their costumes are designed to be functional yeah and they're not but then it's still gratuitous it's, yeah. yeah um i mean if anything the one i like most is from the new black widow film where she's got the is it a flat jacket Oh, Yelena's flat jacket. Yeah, yeah. it's full of pockets. 
Yes. Um, and I mean, and that that's still my favorite scene yeah. in that whole film. Yeah. Like, I mean, the, the film is great. I think there's a lot of good set pieces in it. But yeah, that conversation where Yelena is just talking about her jacket and all the cool pockets yeah. it's got. Uh, and it's like, it's cool. It's the first thing I bought for myself. And, and Natasha's just not getting it. And, and she's like, come on, it's really cool, yeah. right? And then Natasha's like, yeah, it's cool. She's like, I know. Yeah. <laughs> like that. It's, Look at all the pockets. It's, yeah, because I've seen women like that yeah. where it's like, oh, I like your dress. Oh, thanks. It has, it has pockets. pockets. Yeah. <laughs> and you immediately cram your hands into your pockets. Which <laughs> I can understand that might be why superhero women don't have pockets. Oh, okay. If to villain... ruin the line of the costume. No, the villain will say, I like your outfit. They'll go, thanks, it has pockets. Jam their hands in the pockets. <laughs> They've got no way of defending themselves. I didn't think of that. That's a good way of... See, I'd make a brilliant supervillain. <laughs> that is a good way of looking at it. Um, but also, mm. you have to wonder, where do they keep their keys? Mm. Maybe that's why they have a boob window. Maybe. To put it down the front. You oh, know, like girls God. on a night out. Oh, no. I got a bag. <laughs> I tell you what, when I was working in bars, I used to hate it when women would just like reach into the bra and hand me like a sweaty, money. <laughs> a sweaty ten pounds. Um, because it doesn't matter how much perfume you put on, you've been dancing for a yeah. while; those things stink. And then with so so much change by the end of the night, everyone's jangling away on the dance floor. See, the thing is, nowadays where there's sanitizer everywhere because of the plague that we're yeah. living in. <laughs> I probably wouldn't mind it so much because it was like, right, I wash my hands, yeah. done. But yeah, yeah. back then, ugh, it was not fun. Um, so yeah, this conversation took a turn. <laughs> I like um, those conversations yeah. like that, though. They're, they're more fun. Um, Does any of that make sense? Because I know there's probably someone who's like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. Oh, no. you're such a social justice warrior. Oh, you're using being as a woman as an excuse to make an issue. Well, they could say that about me as well. Yeah. Any, any of my listeners could say that about me and say, you know, because I've, I've spoken on on the podcast before about some of my opinions and even earlier this episode. And I've made it clear that, yeah, I'm generally quite forward thinking yeah. when it comes to feminism and race equality and, um, you know equal rights for gay and trans people yeah, so yeah yeah <laughs> it'll become more apparent when i do uh next fortnight's episode yeah. oh, when yeah. i go full into to one of my favorite franchises yeah. and explain why but spoilers yeah. for the end and um of course, i know there's someone out there who's gonna say oh you fat cow you just don't like them because you can't wear those outfits yourself to which i say number one i would if i could and number two this outfit has pockets so mm. I will say, I do quite like, um, I, I, well, I hate the pushback that some women get for it when they'll wear a cosplay outfit while not being maybe the same race as the character yeah. or the same um, size as the character. But at the same time, God damn it, fair play to them. Because yeah. some of the, I would rather see a really well-made costume yeah. as a cosplay um, than have it be accurate. Like, um it was a costume, the last Comic Con I went to, and someone did the character from Horizon Zero Dawn. Mm. Um, you must have yeah. seen her, the flaming red hair yeah, and the furs the with the big yeah. bow and arrow. And she won. Yeah. And it helped that she did look like the character, yeah. I'm not going to lie. But at the same time, if another, I, I don't think she had naturally red hair. I'm pretty yeah. sure that was a wig. Yeah. For example. Or at least died to get that colour. No, it was a wig. It had, well, it was huge and it had, she had the dreads yeah. and everything. Um, and, you know, I've seen 
people who've done sort of mashup yeah. character ideas. Or, or when I went to, there was another con I went to and they had the cast of Gotham there. Yeah. So there were a load of women dressed as Solomon Grundy. Yes. <gasps> Fun. Yeah. Oh. And a couple of women dressed as Penguin. Oh, brilliant. And yeah, so you had women dressed as Penguin yeah. with his suit and the cane and yeah. everything like that. And then you had a couple of women dressed as Solomon Grundy. And the actor on stage during the Q&A, who, I've forgotten his name, who plays him, the guy who plays... Um, what's, his, what's his other name apart from Solomon Grundy? It's been um, a long time since I've Butch. watched Gotham. Butch. Do you want, yes. do you want me to look it up? No, it's all right. Okay. I've got a picture there. A picture on the yeah, wall. Yeah, trying to remind myself. <laughs> but yeah, the actor who plays Butch, and he was saying he just loves how many women he's seen cosplay his character because yeah. he thinks it's really cool. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, it is cool, yeah. <laughs> you know. I'd be Riddler because I look good in green. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Easy as, really. Riddler's yeah. a good one. I like I like Riddler. Yeah. Riddler, to me, is an underrated uh, character anyway. Um, but I suppose we've talked about sci-fi. What about fantasy? Because fantasy mm. is kind of a different beast in sort of its treatment and objectification of women. Because yeah. you do get some of the more unattractive characters in fantasy, but again, they all sort of fill specific roles. Yeah. Um, um, that's an interesting one because it's only relatively recently, I think, that women have, like female, not women, female characters have branched out from being, I can see there's three types. There's the damsel in distress. Yes. Um, there's the... Um, Barbarian woman. Yes, the warrior woman, uh, the, yeah. But not even like a warrior woman. Like, she is one of the blokes to the point where she may as well have a beard. Yeah. You know? <laughs> or... In Terry Pratchett's Discworld, some of them do. Yes. Um... <laughs> or the wise old woman. Or the... I want to say the sage, but that's not what I mean. Like, the wise one who is... So you say the wise woman. I'm thinking of the wise woman from Black Adder. No, that it be. That it be. Um... Not that it be. Yes, it is. I'm not a tourist. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's like they fall into those three camps and yes. never the twain shall meet. Shall meet. Never the, the thrice shall meet. And, and, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, you do get, I suppose, I suppose part of the problem with fantasy is because a lot of the older fantasy stories, the women are... Again, the, the stories are centred around a male lead. Like all yeah. the Greek legends, for example. Well, yeah. The female characters are usually damsels in distress yeah. or princesses. Or Medusa. Or, 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 yeah, <laughs> or Medusa, who was done dirty. Oh, yeah. Um, but, I mean, like the most prominent example I could think of is probably Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, Funnily enough, that's what I was thinking of. Well, because in Lord of the Rings, it's like... For example, the Bechdel test. A lot of mm. fantasy doesn't pass the Bechdel no. test. Because the for those that don't know, the idea of the Bechdel test is you have two named female characters mm -hmm. who have a conversation with each other mm. about something other yeah. than a man. And it's like Star Wars fails the Bechdel yeah. test. Because the, the original trilogy, especially, because the original trilogy, um, the second female character mm. is only introduced as sort of Mon Mothma or yeah. Ula. In Return of the Jedi. Yeah. You know, Leia's pretty much the only woman mm. throughout the first two films. Yeah. So, but I, I don't think the Bechdel test is as good of a, a measure of um, a film's quality as some people no, think. Because it's cause, like... I mean, I can't think of one immediately, but there's probably some female-oriented oriented films 
like t- yeah. quote unquote chick flicks that don't pass the Bechtel test. Yeah, I was going to say a lot of rom coms yeah. probably don't pass it. Like Bridget Jones wouldn't pass it. No, or um, even I've thought of a classic that wouldn't pass it: Casablanca. Yes, yes. don't think it does. No, because I don't think there's two named female characters in that. No. Not that immediately spring to mind. Yeah. Um, and yet people say, oh, that's a women's picture. Mm. So I was thinking uh, another one that would probably fail the Bechdel test mm-hmm. is Alien. Mm. And Terminator 2 would also fail it as ah, well. Yeah. And that's because... A th- well, actually, no, Alien might pass it. Mm. Because I think Lambert and Ripley have a conversation about the ship. Okay. Which shows just how tenuous the whole thing is. Yeah. Because it's like yeah. you you can pass the Bechdel test by having by two women saying you know do you want a coffee yeah that, <laughs> you know but These women in their coffee <laughs> but I'm pretty sure Terminator <laughs> Two Sarah Connor is basically the only main female character yeah. and I I don't think she shares any conversations with other women no in the film mm. her conversations are with Silverman yeah John the Terminator. Yeah. Uh, Enrique mm. and the T-1000. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Yeah. Is it Terminator 2 where she starts off and she's in the institution? Yeah. I don't know. Well, did she talk to any nurses there? Because someone no. would point that out. There's oh, a male okay. nurse um, that she attacked. Oh, the other... the I think the only other named female character mm-hmm. is John's um, foster parent. Yeah. And she's dead yeah. quite early on, so... Yeah. Who's, who's funnily enough played by uh, Jeanette Goldstein, who also played Vasquez in Aliens. Huh. I did not know that. Yeah. Huh. You really, know everything. <laughs> really kind of stands out. It stands yeah. out to me because they're so, so different yeah. characters. Um, She's a versatile actress. Yes. An underrated actress. But yes. But like you Sorry. were saying, a lot of classic <laughs> movies don't pass it. Uh, no. One I've heard as, uh, as a, um, a replacement for the Bechdel mm. test, which I think works better, is the Mako Mori test. Mm. Which from is, um, Pacific Rim. Yeah, so yeah. it's named after the character of Mako Mori from Pacific Rim, who yeah. obviously has... She's the only major female character in the film, but she has her own dedicated character arc yeah. that shows growth. Yeah. And oh, I think that's, that's a much better measure of um, uh, an inclusion of women yeah. in something. So to go back to what we were saying about fantasy, so for example, Lord of the Rings wouldn't pass the Bechdel test... Mm. But Eowyn especially would make yeah. it past the Makamori test. Yeah. Not so much um, Arwen, mm. but Eowyn definitely. Because yeah. Eowyn um, does have her own character yeah. arc, her own journey. And in this case, Eowyn was... Her character was in the book. Yes. But what she did, and with the whole I am no man, was written specifically for the film, I believe. Um, No, she does ride to the battle... The difference in the film to the book is in the book, Mary doesn't recognise yeah. her as Eowyn. Okay. Whereas in the film, he recognises her straight away, yeah. which I think is much better because yeah. otherwise you just make Mary look like a weaker character. Yeah. Um, um, but I think the thing with Eowyn, you know... I, was... I think... And she's practising with swords with Aragorn. Yeah. Uh, like Aragorn catches her practising with swords. That's I think, is a, a new addition yeah. for the film. To again make her stronger. Um, but for me, I think Lord of the Rings in some ways is quite good when it comes to describing the... You know, I was trying to explain the female types. Yes. Because, for example, you've got Arwen, who she's not the 
damsel in distress, but she's definitely the love interest. Yes. And she's sort of like... An elvish filmed... princess as well, yeah. <laughs> she's filmed with like Vaseline lens. Yeah, and... <laughs> yes. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I've always thought Liv Tyler is just so beautiful. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. She really is. Like, she embodied that role so well. Mm. And yeah, she has moments of being really She actually cool. looks elvish, which yeah. is weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and she has moments of being really cool. Yes. Um, which is quite a modern take, and I like it. Yeah. But you know, I was trying to explain like the soothsayer sage type. Yeah. Galadriel. Galadriel, yes. Who is so. It's like she's female, but she's not necessarily a woman. Yes. You know, you wouldn't look at Galadriel in like a romantic sense or. No, no. Even like a nurturing sense, anything like that. She's yeah. like the cool, um, distant soothsayer type yeah and again, she's, she's definitely like a sage just, yeah. isn't she yeah um, um you do also have i don't think she's ever seen in the movie she's kind of off screen but you do also have like a mother-in-law trope uh that? not quite um, mother-in-law lobelia sackville baggins yeah <laughs> um you know the the pushy relative that yeah. Bill does not want to deal with yeah. oh and of course like um we were talking about like the barbarians and the yes. beards and stuff. Dwarf women have beards. Well, you know, do like... they? It's kind of a joke in the in the thing. It's like you know, it's... Gimli saying there's people have often said there are no dwarf women, and then Eowyn kind of looks around to Aragorn and he's just the beards. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, is he joking to Eowyn or is he actually telling the truth? We don't know. Um, but from that, you can sort of assume that you know, dwarf women are. They they could have beards. We don't know. Well, yeah. Not even if they don't have beards, you can assume that the women and the men. There's no real demarcation between like gender roles. Yeah, they're going to be equal. women's work, men's yeah. work. They, you know. Yeah, there's going to um, be more of an equality there. And I, w- I kind of wish we'd seen more dwarven women in The Hobbit. Yeah. Because it would have been so cool to sort of learn more about like the dwarf women rather than having Toriel. Is it Toriel? Toriel, yeah. Who was um, written in as the sole female character. See, I quite like Toriel as a character up to a point, which mm-hmm. I'll explain in a minute. Um, but to me, I think the dwarves are kind of half done by in the yeah. story of Lord of the Rings anyway. True. I'm not sure how much this extends to the further Legendarium because mm-hmm. I haven't read all of it. Um, but I know in the books that I have read especially, mm-hmm. I mean, The Hobbit was written first and it was written as a children's yeah. story. So there's not quite as much lore in there as anything else. There's bits of the dwarven language in Lord of the Rings... Mm. But the focus is generally on the elves. Yeah. Like, we know that the dwarves fought in the War of the Ring, but it was all kept in the north up near Erebor. Yeah. So you kind of find it out in the appendices. Yeah. You don't find it out in the actual story of the novel. Because we never see them, like, at any of the main battles. They don't come down to Minas Tirith or anything like that. Um, So our main look at dwarven culture is the Hobbit. Mm. Um, And the Hobbit films especially because mm. the the hobbit novel doesn't really have it no because it's true. it's focused on the hobbits yeah it, you know that that's fine i mean obviously it's tolkien's story yeah. and clearly what he wanted to write were hobbits and elves yeah you know so that's fine yeah. but yeah i do wish we'd got more for the dwarves yeah um and i think with going back to toriel what gets me is mm. she had the potential to be such a good character. Yes. She had 
and she's wasted to create a love triangle that didn't need to be there. See, that's the bit that annoys me is because why it was Why does it hurt so much? Well, the thing is that was added in reshoots yeah. as well. Like when she originally signed on to the role, she said she didn't want to be in a love mm. triangle because Evangeline Lilly had obviously just come off lost. Yeah. So she didn't want to be in a love no. triangle. Um because that's what had kind of made her yeah. famous and she hated it. Yeah. Um, because you know Love triangles in general can be kind of clumsy because the way they're written is mm. the woman is the prize for either of yeah. the two men. They're not even technical triangles. They're V's. Yeah. The woman is backed into a corner. Yeah. You know, unless there's a bi person involved, it's not a triangle. Um, <laughs> now, see, that would have made things more interesting. It would. Given Legolas and his feelings what's, about dwarves. What's the Shakespeare play? That where there's there's one of that and it's like a, a, a it's not a, a it's not a triangle. Um, it's like a quadrangle. Um or square, you could say. <laughs> My brain just decided to oh, pull. No, I like, I like we don't word... have the word. We'll come up with quadrangle. That sounds about the right. Word nerd in me likes that. <laughs> the English graduate likes that. Obviously. Um. <laughs> <coughs> but yeah, where there's um a woman posing as a man, and she falls in love with. A man, the man falls in love with her as she normally is, or or um, something, and she's pretending to be his sister. Or oh, oh it's so complex. The and one it, that springs to mind is Much Ado About Nothing. Might be it. It's a comedy, and mm. I know it got adapted into the movie She's All That, which uh, I only. Taming of the Shrew. She's all that. No, no, that's ten all... things I hate about you. Is the Taming of the Shrew? Yeah, yeah. Um, she's all that. I think it was. I only know that because my ex really yeah. liked that film. Um, and it's not a bad film. Mm. It's, it's decent enough. Yeah. You've got... Um, but it's made for teenage girls. I don't know. I just quite like that Vinnie Jones was in it as a football coach. Um, was he? Yes. Huh. Um, but yeah, no, you pointed out as well with, with Toriel, the thing that I don't like about it is the mm. love triangle because it does seem forced. Yeah. And it's like... I mean, Tor- Toriel's inclusion doesn't bother me too much because no. there are no female characters no, in The Hobbit. that's true. So I like the addition of a female character. And I yeah. like the addition of it being an elf because yeah. they do go to Mirkwood. So yeah. having it be a Mirkwood elf is brilliant. It makes perfect yeah. sense. The issue I have is Legolas. Yeah. Because obviously that creates the triangle in the first place because yeah. of Philly. Uh, Philly and Legolas. And the issue is that Yes, Legolas would likely have been involved in the events mm. because he is Thranduil's son. Yeah. But it's just an excuse to get Orlando Bloom in to yeah. do cool stuff. Yeah. And it's like, that's fine. Yeah. And I mean, I have no problems with Orlando Bloom and the stuff, like the cool stuff they ask yeah. him to do, he does very well. Yes. But it also, it introduces... Ooh. Lots of um, continuity errors and stuff as well. Yes. So we've done Lord of the Rings then. Mm-hmm. The next big sort of fantasy uh-huh. one is probably Game of Thrones. Oh my goodness. Yes. So yeah, I'm sure you've probably got things to say about yeah. this. Because for example, there's not great female representation in Game of Thrones. No. And- even the ones that you think could start, you know, could be cool and, you know, could be... Progressive. Like, yeah, <laughs> progressive, thank you, good word. Yeah. Um, 
yeah, by the time we're done, it's Dragon Lady bad. Dragon Lady crazy. Well, yeah, I mean, even <laughs> even leaving aside the ending, though, yeah. I mean, Game of Thrones does some some things very, very well. Mm. I think yeah. the, the roles it gives to some of the children, especially, yeah. as a series, are very, very good. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's a reason why it was a genuine phenomenon when it yeah. came out. Well, I mean, we've both read the books, yeah. but should we mainly talk about the series yeah. um, rather than the books? Because, I mean, some stuff that happens in the series is worse in the books Yeah. for some of the characters mm-hmm. and better for some of the yeah. characters. Like, for example, the big rape scene that happens to Sansa yeah. does happen in the book, but not to Sansa. It happens yeah. to another character. And it happens sort of off screen as well doesn't and i know you don't get off screen in the books but yeah it's kind of we we get the start of the scene and yeah. not and we experience the aftermath of the scene yeah, but we, don't, but we see. don't have to witness it yeah um which cuts back to a lot of what i was saying yeah. last time about um gratuity yeah there's uh, a lot of bits of the tv series i won't watch yeah some bits are, are, are quite tough to I've, watch i've especially read them if... but i won't watch them like um uh there's a whole bit which actually um they had to take out of the tv series because um the one that played santa stark was too young oh. but there's a bit where like joffrey has the attendant stripper yes just revenge because she said something that upset him yes now in the book yeah, Meryn Trant, who's one of the King's Guard, yeah. is like beating her yeah. and her dress gets torn off. Yeah. And, yeah. In the book, I, could, I, I read it and then immediately wished I hadn't. But it's one of those where I was hoping they didn't put it in the TV show and it yeah. wasn't as bad in the show. Yeah. The, the, but the... then they did the scene afterwards where Joffrey had one prostitute beat up another to compensate. Thinking about it, it's literally just occurred to me now. Why yeah. did they... They actually said, I can remember reading... It was on IMDb or Wikipedia or some such thing. Yeah. They included that scene where he'd got the two prostitutes and he said to one, hit Oh, he her. says to Roz, hit her, yeah. yeah. And then she ends up... Doesn't one of them end up killed? Or at least Not killed, but very injured. wounded. They they say she's been and beaten it like was, a Basically, they said they put that one in there to compensate for the fact they couldn't have the other scene. Why did they need to compensate seeing a woman beaten? No, yeah, I don't, I don't it's, understand. The, and it's like, yes, it shows Joffrey is evil because Joff, Joffrey Baratheon is yeah evil, but we know that already. We did not need that scene. See, I can't remember if it's that scene in the book. Because um, I think in that scene in the book, someone does come to Sansa's defense. It might be the Hound. Or someone else. It's I can't Tyrion, remember. Isn't it? And he shouts at Joffrey and he's like, you know, for God's yeah. sake, give the girl something to cover herself. And Yeah, I think it might be when Tyrion arrives in King's, mm, Land- in King's Landing. Because he's been away with Tywin at war. Um, or it might be that that's when the Hound yeah. saves her. Or the, the, the bumbling jester. Full uh, person yeah. that she has. Oh, I know. Oh, yeah, I know. The There's too many characters in Game of Thrones. Yes. Um, but I don't think it's that exact scene, but there's another scene like that where, again, he's torturing Sansa just because he can. Um, and it's a pivotal moment in the mm. books, and it was never adapted. And to me, it's far more important than Sansa being beaten. Yeah. Which is 
because obviously Sansa's our point of view for that yeah. storyline in King's Landing in the book. Yeah. Um, because we never get to see inside Joffrey's head. Not that we really want to. Um, but Joffrey cuts himself on the throne. Yes. Um, because the whole point of the Iron Throne is it's made of swords. Yeah. It's meant to be sharp. Yeah. And they never covered that in the series, but no. it was such a cool yeah. part of the the yeah. novel because they explain that to sit on the Iron Throne is basically to sit on something that could cut you at any yeah. point. And it's almost dangerous to sit on it. You can't laze in it. You yeah. have to sit attentively. Um, to the point that if you do laze, you will cut yourself. Yeah. And that's basically what happens in the that scene is Joffrey sort of relishes yeah. in what he's doing and cuts himself in front of the whole court. And the whole court kind of loses their yeah. their, their collective shit. Yeah. <laughs> because they're like, oh, oh, I don't swear often yeah. on this. Uh, I do in real life, but not often on the podcast. Um, but yeah, they're like, oh, Joffrey, Joffrey cut himself yeah. on the throne. And the reason it's such a big deal is because King Eris, the mad king, yeah. constantly cut himself yeah. on the throne, which was why he was called the mad king yeah. you know everyone knows what he did and it's like the fact that he constantly cut himself on the throne yeah. was showing that he was, was the gods basically yeah. showing the people that he was unfit to yeah. rule so it's like by joffrey cutting himself that's the same yeah. thing yeah and they left that out but they had to have a scene of two yeah. semi-naked women beating each other oh the, I, I could i could go off and off about some of the plot threads that Game of Thrones drops from the books. This there's a reason I'm looking forward to the books. Yes. Yeah. And have not what rewatched yeah. the series. I've not even not even fully fully watched the ending. No. I caught up with the spoilers and I was like, nah, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we'll leave this while it's still good. Yeah, I'll I'll just wait for the book instead. There's so yeah. many good plot threads in the book. Um, um I can remember asking you after I'd read it because I think I finished reading the series before we started watching it. Yes. Because we were catching up on DVD. I did. I was. Um, I, I I read the entire series roughly when season two was airing. Yeah. Um, I and I managed you to. Lending me the books. Yeah, I managed to finish all of them before season three, yeah. and it meant that I was so excited for season three and season four, because they were adapting Storm of Swords, which is the third novel, which is my favorite. Yeah. But and obviously, people who have seen the show know how good some of yeah. the events in season three and four are. Yeah. That's why Storm of Swords yeah. is my favorite book. But I remember <laughs> actually asking you, why does George R. R. Martin hate women? Mm. He um, does seem to, doesn't he? Because I I understand that you know it's um yeah win, Winterfell is a it's a dangerous world out there, you know. Yeah. But it all seems to be focused on the female characters. Yes, Ned Stark loses his head, with spoilers. <laughs> but that's one quick clean chung done. Yeah. It's the women who go through the prolonged agony afterwards. Yeah. yeah. And the prolonged Like what Catelyn goes through yeah. off the back of it. Um... Catelyn is a much better character in the mm. book. Oh yeah. By far. Yeah. Her portrayal um... of the show is just awful. No no offence to the actress, I think it was how she was written. But... Yeah. It's yeah. Um, I heard her referred to as "Fu Catelyn Stark" a lot of the time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean she's she's not she's still not great in the book, but no. she's definitely better. I think part of it is in the book you can because she's a point of view character. Yeah, so you're more you privy to her, her thoughts. motivations a lot more. Yeah, see, I've had I've had someone that uh, one of my friends and she said that she enjoyed the fourth oh. book, Feast of Crows, because it gave you an insight into Cat, uh, not Catelyn. 
um, Cersei, Cersei yeah. Lannister. Um, to me, that was one of the things I hated because I, I, I felt it undercut the character of Cersei mm. in a way. Yeah. Because now we were explaining why she was doing stuff rather than just seeing it from the outside. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, I just found her so unlikable. Yeah. Like, give, being given an insight into her mind mm. didn't make her any more relatable. No. I already despised her. Yeah. And I think... Because they did the same thing with Jamie. Yeah. And with Jamie, you originally start not liking him. Mm. And then when you start to learn more about him yeah. from his own insight... Yeah, and it's, he becomes more... He pathetic. becomes more relatable. I think the thing with Cersei... Put your teeth in, Jennifer. With Cersei... Yes. Is that... When you get inside her mind, you realise she's very, very clever. She's very intelligent. Yes. So why mm. is she not catching on to the fact this isn't going to work? It's all going to backfire on her. Yeah. You know, it's I know you don't like the scene where she gets given the, the walk, the no, walk of shame. it's horrific. I can't, I can't even yeah. read that bit. It's horrific. Yeah, see... To me, I quite like that scene because I like seeing her get her comeuppance. Yeah. But I will admit that it is a problematic scene. Yeah. I like the the cathartic, yes, you lost. You tried to play everyone and you lost yeah. aspect of it. But some of the violence that she endures. And the fact that, you, again, you read the chapter from her point of view and she's determined not to falter. Yeah. Because she wants to stick the finger to the rest of all of King's Landing. Yeah. Like, and it's that just makes her more hateful and spiteful. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I don't like that. Yeah. Like, I want her to be suffering. Yeah. You know. Although, you do raise an interesting point. Mm. And it's like, why are all the women naked all the time? Yeah. Um, like, didn't, we, didn't we try and work this out? And yeah. Which characters actually don't have a sex scene of any kind? Yeah. And I, out of the female characters, it's... Sansa, I think, is yeah, and Lyanna Mormont, who's way too young, yeah, and um, also, <laughs> and Diana Rigg, think... Lady Elena, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although there's a lot, of, maybe not now, but back in her prime, back in back in the day, yeah. back in Bond, um, um, but and I think also I don't think Catelyn Stark has a no, Catelyn doesn't nude scene or a love scene, which is interesting mm. because I think in the book it's very much implied she and ned have a very very lusty relationship yeah like they're clearly they're... into each other yeah um and it's one of those where that elements kind of take and i mean ned stark sean bean they should have left it in you know yeah just I, I, I wouldn't mind seeing uh, sean bean that. without a shirt on um, i'm not gonna lie but you know it's like because she's a mother yeah she can't be the sexual being whereas like cersei yes she's a mother mm. But she is portrayed as being sexy. She's a sexual being. And, like, one of the guards mentioned that he wants to F the Queen when uh, oh, yeah, um, Arya tries to get in. She says, I'd like to speak to my father. And yeah. He says, oh, yeah, I'd like to F the Queen, but neither of those are going to happen. Yeah. You know, she Or the, is... um, the cell sword that I've forgotten his name, who gets hired by um, Davos uh, and Stannis. Mm. Oh, and he's remember. like, yeah. and he says, uh, I, I, he says, I want to f the queen, and says, uh, and says, you're not going to get anywhere by raping the queen. He says, anyway, I don't want to just rape her. Yeah, <laughs> I want to fuck her. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? it's like that's 
there's a distinction there, surely, yeah. in his head. Yeah. Um, and it's just one of those where, um, yeah. you know, it's portrayed, the women are portrayed, or a lot of the women, I shouldn't say all of the women, but a lot of the women are portrayed as using sex or sexual attraction as a weapon. Yeah. Um, Cersei's the main one. But Definitely. also uh, Marjorie. Like. Oh, yeah, Marjorie Terrell, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, it's one of those where it's like... Like, even to Tommen, which gets yeah. really weird. Although, yeah, that's the sort of scene that is implied could have happened off screen in the book. Yeah. Which makes it even more uncomfortable because yeah. the characters are all a lot younger in the book. Yes, definitely. Like, Tommen is, I think, six in the novels. Yeah. So I'm so sorry I'm getting het up. I need to have a drink. I'm losing my voice. No, it's fine. You talk um, away while I'm Well, I was going to say, uh, something that has just occurred <laughs> to me as well with um, Game of Thrones is a lot of the female characters do fall into the three archetypes because the the religion of um, Westeros yeah. is the seven, the seven mm. gods. And it's, uh, for men, it's... I've forgotten the names now. Isn't it soldier, father... Isn't one of them like cleric or no, some, it's, it's some religious thing? Something, I something, can't remember. something <laughs> mechanical, like the worker or something. Yeah. I can't remember. Um, and then there's the stranger, which is the god of death. And then the three aspects of women mm. are the maiden, maiden the mother, and the, the crone, um, which is something that's linked to Wicca, I yeah. believe, as well, isn't it? Yeah, it's the, the three stages of womanhood. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, and so. All of the characters, I think, fall into one of those archetypes. Yeah. So Elena Terrell would be the crow. Yeah. Um, whereas um, Cersei and Catelyn are definitely the mother. Yeah. And then you get characters who are the, everyone else kind of loosely falls into the main. Yeah. Um, so Shay, uh, yeah. Roz, um, even Sansa and Arya grow into yeah. the maiden archetypes yeah and are your sex scene was also yeah. weird we're not oh gonna get into gosh. that i was just gonna um, talk about that yeah because it was completely unnecessary and again it's the sexification of a character yeah she was such a cool character you know she was how old 12 was she when when it started yeah uh i think Maisie williams was young not younger. necessarily Maisie williams but the character oh the she character was, was younger she was a preteen she was about eight she? I think was in, she? Oh, in the novels she is. I think she might be slightly aged up yeah. in the show. But you know, she's uh, so a about ten, say. But she, and she's out and she's on her own and she is more or less fending for herself or she's fighting up against. Help me out. Um, Not the mountain. The hound is it? The hound. The hound. She's yeah. with for a you lot know, of it. She's his companion and she's holding her own. And she's got needle the sword and. Yes. And that in itself is a really cool character. Mm-hmm. So why did she have to become sexy and yeah. and have, you know, intimate scenes with someone who has grown up with her thinking she was a boy for a lot of it? Yeah, I mean, I get that they kind of built the relationship up. The issue I had was this is a character, if you go back and watch the earlier part of the show, we've seen her as a young child. Yeah. Um, that was the bit that got me. And it's like, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's it. It gives me a bit of a squick factor, yes. where it's like mm-hmm. um, to to use a more mainstream example. One that springs to mind is Monica and Richard in Friends. Yeah. 
where it's like Richard has known Monica since she was a child. Yeah. He was her, their, he was a friend of the, the father. She and he in was, his pool. Yeah, and he was a doctor. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, yes, Courtney Cox is a very young, very attractive woman. Yeah. But at the same time, and I get there's an element of like seeing someone in a different way yeah. and what have you. But it's like it does have a, a bit of an icky factor. Yeah. Oh, um, I things do things like that do happen in real yeah. life. So and I don't know. No, there's no judgment from us, obviously. No. But... To me, to me, it's a bit icky. Yeah. Um, and to me, I didn't need to see that. No. Like if Maisie Williams wanted to do a nude role in something else, yeah. well, that's fine. But in Game of Thrones, I've seen her as a kid. I've yeah, seen Arya as a kid. To me, Arya is. is still a young woman. Yeah. She's too young for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the thing is as well that... Uh, sec, what is it you called it? Sex position. Sex where... position. It, it, was cri- it was a term christened by like... I think it was the New York Times in one of the reviews. And they said that the character of Roz, which, I mean, she was... She was very clearly written as a way of giving us uh, a point of view, like an yeah. audience surrogate for yeah. people to elaborate to, um, which is kind of also the role that Shay takes on mm. um, to give us sort of the insight to some of the characters. Yeah. And yeah, she was a prostitute who started in Winterfell and then heads yeah. to King's Landing conveniently. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, the, the, the sex position got coined, I think it's... I think it's a season one episode where Littlefinger is sort of training her as mm. one of his new, uh, and she's yeah, one of the new halls in his house. Meg, full on Meg Ryan. Yeah, he's with like, the. Uh, ridiculous you sound. Yeah, I mean he's not part of uh, part of the uh, the action, shall we say? He's sort of watching, but he's talking, and you're getting the insight into his character. Yeah. While two women are naked and writhing in the corner. Yeah. And it's like, because he's talking to them, so it's exposition, yeah. but done in a sexy way. Yeah. Um, and in the, on the one hand, I think it's really, like, it's really clever. And it's yeah. quite a good way of getting around the show-don't-tell rule. It was. It was a very good narrative convenience for them, I think, for a lot of yeah. the earlier stuff. But at the same time, sometimes it's just like, did it have to be that... Mm gratuitous I well i mean there's there's other scenes even in the first season where they do exposition in different ways yeah. the one that primarily comes to mind is Tyrion, bron and shay and they have a drinking game yes and again i think that drinking game is in the book yeah but in the show he uses it to tell the story of tisha yeah who is a prominent thing in the book and then swiftly forgotten yeah. in the tv series um but he tells the story of Tisha, yeah. which is a good insight into his character. I don't mm. think he tells the story of Tisha in that scene mm. in the book because he ala- because Tisha yeah. is one of his main motivations. So it gets elaborated yeah. on in a lot of his point of view chapters. Yeah. So, But they can exercise it in that one scene, yeah. which I think is really well done. Yeah. Um, and then the character of Doria um, mm. plays a very similar role in... Um, she and again, she's also a yeah. character from the books in the mm. same way that Shay is. Roz isn't, although yeah. there is a character that you could argue is Roz. Mm. Um, but yeah, the the character of Doria performs a similar function in the Daenerys yeah. story, um, because she has a scene with Viserys, mm. um, 
which again is more exposition and insight into him. Yeah. In season one. Yeah. And again, done with sex position, like they're both in a bath together. Yeah. Um. But it does seem that there seems to be, and I know part of it is because, please excuse me, I'm, <coughs> I'm losing my voice because I'm getting all involved in the conversation. Um, <laughs> part of it is because boobs are far more acceptable on TV than genitals. Yes. Which means you can show a woman nude from the waist up and yeah. for the most part people aren't going to complain. Well, there's a lot of full but... nudes, but a lot of the full nudes are portrayed by women who have worked in the adult yeah. entertainment industry. Like yeah. um, Sahara Knight, who plays one of the um, whores in mm. King's Landing. Yeah. And um, Sibelka Kelly, who plays Shay. She yeah. also worked in adult films. Um, so. But it's like, it's again, it's the women who are nude. It's the women who are in that position of yes vulnerability in many ways. Like, we are at our most vulnerable when we are naked. Yes. And you didn't see many of the men are... naked, did no. you? No. And it's like they were saying in South Park, where when you see a wiener, it's always a floppy wiener. <laughs> <laughs> Big floppy wieners. Um, um, but the only the only male I can really think of being nude in the show is well, to the point that you actually saw anything hmm. was uh, Alfie Allen. Yeah, but that's number one because you know three tennis balls in a sock. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, do be packing. Um, but also because he gets it cut off later on, doesn't he? So yes. I'm wondering, could it be a foreshadow of look what this dude's losing? Well, yeah, okay, or, maybe. I didn't think or of it that way. Think what this dude's lost, you know. Yeah, because he has a couple of scenes where it's a uh, yeah, it's quite prominent. Um, but yeah, even with the sex position, I mean, the the treatment of women as being almost sex objects, and Alfie Allen's character of Theon is um one of the key ones mm, behind yeah. this. Um, the one that springs to mind is his introduction to Yara. Yes. Oh which, who goodness. he doesn't realise is his sister. No, because she looked like a fat little boy when yes. he left her. And he doesn't realise that's his sister, so he immediately starts groping her. Yeah. Intimately. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and she knows, obviously, who he yeah. is, but she doesn't say anything. Yeah. Purely to relish the shock on his face later on. She's by it rather than grossed out as well, yeah. which is it's an it's interesting kind of, reaction. It's kind of macabre yeah. almost, isn't it? Um, I would have beat Ramsay Snow to it and chopped his fingers off. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it just seems that... Um, oh, although I have thought of one thing. Go on. I've lost my train of thought completely and I apologise. No. I've thought of one character that gets... A sexy makeover, a male character that gets a sexy makeover. Oh. And I can't think of his name, but um, helpful from descriptions, it's the one that's having the thing with Daenerys, and he's got the knife handles that are naked women. Oh, Dario, um, Dario Naharis, yeah. yes. Because in the book, he's got like purple and blue hair, hasn't he? Something like that. Yeah, he's yellow, meant. He's implied to look very beard, odd. He's got like dyed colouring yeah, all over the place. Whereas. And... Yeah, the Dario they actually get yes. is gorgeous. Like, but what, Dario 1 or Dario 2? Personally, Dario 1. The one who went on to be Ajax in Deadpool? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Personally, but, you know, pros and cons on both sides. Okay, yeah, true. Um, but it's one of those where, you know, they made him conventionally attractive. Yes. Because 
he was taking a, a sexy role, a lead role. They did also cut out um, one of the clothing choices for Daenerys' storyline. Mm. Oh, when she's in Carth, yeah, in the novels, when she's in Carth in season two, the Carthine fashion is to have one breast showing. Yeah. So for a lot of her scenes in Carth, especially where she's um, speaking to Zaro Zoan Daxos. Mm. Um, she deliberately wears a Carthine yeah. gown that he gave her to, yeah. to sweeten him up. Yeah. Which is, is, is brilliant because it's perfectly showing that she is very clever yeah. and very oh, yeah. manipulative as a leader um, and, and a diplomat and knowing what she wants to, to get out of the conversation. But, yeah, I can see why they, yeah. they didn't do it. Yeah. Um. Oh, I had a really good point and I've lost it. Um... <laughs> No, it's completely gone. Oh, well. Sorry. It'll if come I back to you if it's important enough. Yeah, and I'll jump in and go, ooh. I do want to go uh, back to something you said earlier when you said uh, it's for teenage girls. Yeah. Because I have heard that as kind of a a derisory yeah. thing, said certain things. I have thought of my point, but go it's headcanon, so I don't know if you want to leave it. Oh, go on, touch on it. My headcanon is, um, because in many cultures, and this is all just me world building yeah in many cultures women are given far more lenient punishments for crime yes so men would dress as women while performing acts of crime to get the lenient um punishment if caught right so by wandering around exposing a breast it proves you are definitely a woman biologically female interesting i didn't think of it that way but that is that's definitely interesting um, that's my thoughts on it anyway, but yeah. I interrupted you. What were you saying about... Um, I was going to say, so do you think, um, I mean, this goes back to sort of a gatekeeping thing in a way, which is more what we were, were talking about before yeah. we got <laughs> lost on all these tangents. Um, but Family you... dinners in our house are <laughs> fascinating. But do you think uh, that shows or media that are created for young women uh young adult women Mm -hmm. or even teenagers or children are held with a a lesser standard than say things created for boys or young adult men oh absolutely yeah they're held with in some cases bordering on contempt yeah see to me i i agree with you Uh um the the big one i i find is twilight Mm. so many people will deride twilight and i've Twilight, I don't think, is particularly good anyway. Mm-hmm. But it's not particularly good for its own reasons. Yeah. It's not It's not that it's not particularly good because it's a young adult female yeah. thing. Um, well, the thing is, I actually read the first Twilight book. Yes. More or less when it came out. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I was a bit old for the target audience. I was about 21, 22 when I read it. Uh, just a bit, then. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Um, because I, I've got a real thing about vampires and vampire fiction and stuff yeah. anyway, and vampire mythology. Um, and so I read it and it wasn't terrible. I mean, I wouldn't put it up there as my favourite book ever. Mm. Um, that's The Handmaid's Tale, by the way. Um, ooh, very good, very good series. We'll have to do a discussion on that. In one of these at some day. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll watch um, through the whole series and then yeah. we'll do it. 
But anyway, so it's not my favourite book ever. Yeah. But it's not terrible. And I've read far worse. Yes. And again, the film, it's not brilliant. Mm. But it's nowhere near as bad as everyone made it out to be. No. And I think some of the dialogue in it is not great. Yeah, see, I didn't like Um, it. But the, the reason I didn't like the film so much was because some of the dialogue was terrible. And the acting wasn't particularly good, and I didn't buy the love story. Yeah. Um. That's my reasons for not liking it. I did think her dad was an awesome oh, character. Yeah. Like she comes in talking about her boyfriend, and he's there cleaning the shotgun. Yeah. Um. Not not to be aggressive dad stereotype yeah, or anything, you know, just because he has a shotgun yeah. and he's cleaning it. Um. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, some of the dialogue is like, "Hold on, spider monkey." Yeah. Oh, there's one about dying is hard. No, dying is easy, it's living that's hard. I can't remember the exact... I think that was a tagline for the film Possibly. as well. Yeah. Um, but it's not terrible. Yeah. And the problem is, I think if you took a film of a similar standard that was aimed towards a male audience or even a family audience... Yeah. Excuse me. Um, I don't think it would have been nearly so derided. Yeah, okay. It would have been written off and been like, oh, you know, it's a... Yeah. It's what I would say. It's one where I wouldn't actively put it on, but if I saw it was on on Boxing Day, I'd probably watch it. Yeah. No, I get get the sort of thing you mean. Um, Um, Like one that springs to mind, and please don't hate me for this. Go on. Jurassic World. Okay, yeah. A lot of the dialogue in Jurassic World is terribly written. I love how you specify Jurassic World, not Jurassic Park. <laughs> no, because Jurassic Park is one of my favourites. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, Jurassic, Jurassic World, World is a, a popcorn film. Yeah, yeah, a lot of the dialogue isn't great. No. Um, the story threads that are introduced and then never brought up again. Yeah. There is no chemistry between the two romantic, romantic leads, quote-unquote. Yeah, Jurassic World is also a very, very good one for... Um, um discussion of its treatment of women for example jurassic world is the first film in the jurassic park series where a a woman Mm. is killed by a dinosaur yeah and it's the uh she's played by katie mcgrath and she's like the assistant yeah but she gets the most long drawn out horror movie death scene and she's punished and for not looking after the children. Yeah, but it's so she's unnecessary. Saying, yeah, but you know, it's like <laughs> she's not doing her motherly role. Mm. She's not looking after the children. Therefore, she gets eaten by a... Is it a Mosasaur? Uh, well, she gets taken off by the pterodactyl first, a pteranodon, and then eaten by the Mosasaur. Yeah. yeah. So it is... It's horrific. Yeah. And it's... Uh, yeah, she gets a really long, yeah. unnecessary death Neither, scene, I yeah. think. Yeah. Because... You know, I mean, if anything, it was the kids who were bad. They <laughs> ran off. Oh, yeah. Why should she get punished? Very true. Um, um, oh, sorry, I'm going completely off topic with that. Yeah. But um, because yeah, I mean, it's go on. I was gonna say, it's a good film. It's a, a watchable enjoy. I enjoyed watching it. Yeah. You know, um, and there was no real problem with the acting, like um, Chris Pratt and Bryce, Bryce Dallas Howard. Howard. Yeah. In their own right, they're both very good actors. Yes. Um, but it's one of those where this film didn't do them any favours in terms of their performance. No. no. Now, going back to that. Twilight, yeah. uh, Kristen Stewart, it is Kristen Stewart, isn't Kristen it? Kristen Stewart and Robert, and Robert Pattinson. Pattinson 
have both proven themselves to be good actors. Yes, more in stuff that Rob came Pattinson. afterwards. Well, so, I think the, the two of them did quite well off of Twilight because both of them have admitted to hating working yeah. on it. Um, and they they both agree with a lot of people that it is terrible. Yeah. Um, but they seem to have both quite happily done it, made their money. Yeah. And now it's like, well, now they can pick the acting jobs that they yeah. want to work on. Yeah, which shows they are, they've both yeah. been proven to be good actors because people, they deride them, especially Christian Stewart. They all said, yeah, she can't act, she can't emote, she's, you know. Yeah. But I think. But then, for example, that... if you watch her in something like Runaways, where she's yeah. playing Joan Jett, and she's fantastic. Yeah. And then now they've both made sort of like both of them making sort of a leap back to the mainstream yeah because robert pattinson's playing batman and she's playing princess diana in spencer yeah and it's like from what we've seen of both of those films they both look pretty good so but i just think it's one of those where because twilight's primary audience was teenage girls Mm. people immediately wrote it off as that's yeah rubbish it's fluff it's nonsense yeah she can't act. He's only in it because he's handsome. Yeah. Again, you get the false love triangle. Yeah. See, I was I was I was going to say that's true of a lot of uh, the young adult films that got sort of adapted off the spate of off off yeah. the back of Twilight because you got um the the two primary ones that I can think of. Well, there's three three primary ones I can think of. Two of which seem to be more derided than the other. Mm. Uh, the first two are the Hunger Games trilogy. Yeah. Well quadrilogy which i really like i think that's a very good film series Mm. um i like the first two i'm not so keen on the third and fourth but third book yes but that's just personal preference yeah you didn't like the book of that much i remember i didn't like the ending yeah see i quite like the film and i thought the way they did the split was very good yeah because the problem with splitting a narrative across two films like that is you need to have a big inciting yeah. moment and i think they were able to do yeah. a big inciting moment that yeah. served very well as the oh, end of yeah, one film definitely. um yeah and then to go for the second series is the allegiant series mm. oh, no divergent series yeah. divergent insurgent allegiant yeah that one didn't do very well the fourth one actually got cancelled mm. i think they're looking at doing a tv adaptation yeah. i don't know if they've done that yet um and then the, the third series is maze runner yeah and Maze Runner, I think, has adapted all of its books. Mm. And they've kind of flown under the radar. Yeah. They've been kind of middling successes. Yeah. But they've also not been made for a lot. Yeah. So it's like they haven't done the box office numbers of something like The Hunger Games. Yeah. But they've all made their money back. Yeah. So. Um, and it's one of those. I've not seen Divergent or Maze Runner. No. I've heard very good things about both of them. The point with those is I'm not their target audience. Yeah, exactly. Even when I was younger, I wasn't really their target audience. Yeah, I mean, from what I've heard of the worlds of both of them, yeah. they're both very, very interesting science fiction stories. Yeah. Uh, science fiction settings, I should say. Yeah. Um, and I get the. I get what they're trying to go for. But again, of the the thing is the discourse of Divergent being seen as less than Maze Runner. Yeah. Or for example, something like Valerian and a Thousand Planets. Yeah. Um, which again is another one of those where it it wasn't a great success, but it made its money back. It's by Luke Best on the mm. guided uh, Fifth Element, so it looks incredible. Yeah. Um. 
and you know it's a decent enough film it's again it's one of those it's like you can oh if that's on i'll watch it yeah um not that tv really works the same way anymore no, as it well, used no. to <laughs> um, showing my age a bit aren't I? yeah um but you know if you were stuck for something to watch yeah. you'd probably put it on um but i don't think it would be anyone's first choice but again that didn't seem to get derided anywhere near as much as you know the hunger games yeah. or divergent have yeah i'm trying to think of more recent examples and i yeah. can't I'm, I'm struggling no i can't um but i think the other thing is in some ways there's almost reverse gatekeeping as well oh because well our kids our two oldest kids are um how old are they 13 and 12, 13 aren't and 12 they? yeah so they're a similar age yeah and they're assigned male and assigned female at birth. Mm-hmm. So our daughter, who's 12, if someone says to her, what films do you like? And she said Avengers. Yeah. People, they'd probably assume that her favourite was either Scarlet Witch or Black Widow. But yeah. okay, fine. Yeah, but, I know, for example, she was very excited to see Captain Marvel. Because yeah. it was the first MCU film yeah. with a female hero. But if you said to our 13-year-old, what's your favourite film? And he said, Twilight, people would laugh their socks off. Yeah. Because Twilight is a girl's film. Yeah. You know, and it's I mean, like... his favourite film was actually Godzilla. Yes. Um, so... <laughs> and it's like, yes, people claim that, you know, girl geeks or, uh, you know... Those who are assumed female. Yes. People think it's strange. There's a lot of that... non-binary people in yeah. geek culture. We should point that out. But, you um... know, it's <laughs> like people's... Oh, girls don't like Star Wars. But there's a lot of g- girls who will proudly say, I like Star Wars, I like Star Trek. I, you yeah, know. which is weird because there's always been a big female audience on a lot of these things. I spoke in uh, a previous episode about how... Like twenty percent of the audience for Masters of the Universe mm. was yeah. young girls, yeah. which is why they made She-Ra. Yeah, and it's like, and my daughter is a big fan of She-Ra. Yeah, the the modern one, she loves it. Yeah, and it's like great. I'm I'm really excited for yeah. this. She's she's got that. And, yeah, you know. So yeah. Um, and the other thing is, if a, a woman or a girl, because you know, we watched Gone Girl, and she was talking about yes. the cool girl. Yes. If a woman was to say to you, um. My favourite film is Die Hard. Yeah. The proverbial man and all his proverbial mates would be like, oh, she's so cool, dude. Yeah. Yeah. If a man was to say his favourite film was My Girl, yeah. people would say, what's wrong with him? Yeah, I was a bit of a softie, isn't he? Yeah, like, it, even if I was to say, well, not but all ironic, my friends I, know you. But how, but, would, how would most women respond to that, though? Because it's like... What we were saying earlier about the power fantasy of the male superhero. Yeah. It's like that goes into the, the magazines, doesn't it? Yeah. You have the, the say you have Hugh Jackman on the cover of a whole load of magazines in a month. In the male magazines he's gonna be in things like uh, you know, muscle fitness yeah. with the full Wolverine yeah. body rip. With if the... he's in <laughs> Yeah, if he's in if he's in GQ he's gonna be in a nice suit. Yeah. Um but if he's in like woman's health Yeah. He's, he's going to be in a dad cardigan. cardigan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but he's going to be... He's not going to look the rough yeah. and ready Wolverine. He's going to be... No, Hugh Jackman, yeah. the dad with the big smiling yeah. face. Yeah. Um, oh, Daddy Hugh Jackman. Yeah, exactly. 
and it's like so so how would a woman respond to a man saying oh my favorite film is like uh oh my favorite film's my girl gets me yeah. every time you know they'd still question it yeah they would they'd be a bit like uh it's like what's your favorite film legally blonde a film which i unironically love by the way um, yeah but if um you know were i 10 years younger and still going on dates yeah and a guy said to me my favorite film is legally blonde yeah you would i would say would to my friends it. his favorite film's legally blonde and of course the common culture stereotype is he's gay and closeted yeah now had he said he would watch legally blonde because i put it on that would be an aww, you know yeah because he's deemed himself to watch Legally Blonde. He's gone below himself to watch Legally Blonde. Oh, yeah. Because I yeah. love it. There's a definite kind of... Almost like a cultural sexism in yeah. it, isn't it? It's like things that women like and things that teenage girls like yeah. especially are... Oh, they're lesser. They're worse yeah. than um, anything else. And then if... A, but then at the same time, I think a lot of women would also be turned off if, you, if a guy said his favourite film was something like... I don't know, not even Die Hard, because Die Hard's more generally accepted yeah. as, like, a good film. Um, but, it's like, uh, The Expendables or Rambo. Yeah. Uh, where it's, like, it is a bit more of a meathead, yeah. gung-ho thing. And I think a lot of women would kind of be a bit more put off by that as well. It would be off-putting, but it wouldn't be weird. Yeah. That's the difference. It'd be if expected said, weird. The guy said his favourite film was um, Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. It's weird because that's a women's film. Yeah. That's a, a girl's picture, you know. Yeah. A, a ugh, chick flick. <laughs> um, it's just, and I think we, in some ways, we miss out on some quite good quality films because they're seen as lesser. Lesser, yeah. And some quite good quality books because they're seen as lesser. Yeah, well, I mean, I spoke about this in the last episode when I was talking about animation being yeah. seen as lesser. You know, well, there's a yeah. lot of animation that is very, yeah. very good. Um, you animation know. is not a genre, people. No, it's a it's a medium it's of storytelling. Choice. Yeah, exactly. I think one of the reasons why anime does so well in Japan, especially, is because um, when they adapt the manga, if the manga has like a very distinctive mm. style. So, for example, I'm thinking thinking things like Berserk. Yeah. Or Attack on Titan. Yeah. Or Dragon Ball. They have kind of more unique styles. Yeah. So when they adapt that to animation, they try and keep those same styles. Yeah. Jojo's Bizarre Adventure as yeah. well. That's a very stylistic mm. one. And they try and keep that style when it moves into yeah. animation. So it looks more like a full motion version of the comic. And I think that works really well. Yeah. Um, but again, you get people who just sort of look down on it. Yeah. You know. Um, and if a man does like put it... There's a particular, I want to say, genre of young man, you know, yes. like single, 20-something young man, the ones that are commonly called, like, neckbeards. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or milady, you know. Milady. And, uh, fedora wearers, yes. Yeah. Except it's not fedoras that they're wearing, it's trilbies. Yeah. That really annoys me. <laughs> As a but, fan of, like, you know, vintage styling, yeah. that really yeah. annoys me. <laughs> and I actually rather like beards, so, yeah. you know. But my, I'm getting off the point again. Um... <laughs> But yeah, there's a certain type of man, or just men in general. If I'm female gatekeeping, please say. But this I'm is not, just my experience. That's fine, go on. 
if they like something that is stereotypically female, yeah, it's automatically assumed that they're a weirdo. Yes. And it's a kink. Yes, like um, bronies. bronies. Yes. I was just thinking of... But if you actually watch, especially like Friendship is Magic and A yeah, Girl... Yeah, which is the one that everyone it likes. It has some really cool stories. Like Yeah, I mean, well, we, we watched it with our daughter and, and yeah. it was really good. Yeah. Take out the ponies and substitute people and take it from animation to live action. Yeah, and a lot of it would still some, work really well. There's some really good story, really good character there. Mm. And some of the like the bad guys are actually kind of scary. Yes. You know, but because it's animated and it's bright coloured, it's for girls. Yeah. And a man that likes it is automatically, yeah, it's weird. It's a kink. He's yeah, got you, his life-size body pillow, yeah. body pillow. Yeah. Or, um, and I mean, on a slight tangent, I'm a doll collector. Yeah. Which is primarily female it's largely female yes now i've heard stories of male doll collectors sending like their wife or their sister or a female friend to buy dolls for them yeah because I mean, a the, man the, in a doll aisle is weird yeah creepy, there's several famous you know. male doll collectors like Johnny Depp. well yeah i was thinking of uh there's one guy i don't know his name but he owns like every barbie ever yeah. made yeah and he oh, watched a documentary about him yeah he's bought one of every single yeah. one and he's said that, yeah, some people do look at it as weird. But yeah. it's like, to him, he's like, he's interested in getting a collection of something that is, yeah. is worth collecting. I'd yeah. say Barbie is worth collecting. There's yeah. a lot of very limited edition runs of Barbie. Yeah. That you could, you know, yeah. but toy collecting. Yeah. Toy collecting is a thing anyway. Yeah. People collect Transformers. Yeah. There's a guy who, there's a guy with a bunker full of Star Wars yes. merchandise. Yeah. You know, or one guy who bought every alien toy ever yeah. made, including some of the old sets and suits, yeah. to the point that when they made some of the new sequels, they had to hire them back off yeah. of him to use them because um, it mean, was cheaper than recreating them. You've only got to look at um, Action Man, G.I. Joe. Yeah. He's not a doll, he's an action figure. Yeah. Because boys don't play with dolls. But the original 12 inch one was a doll. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and it's like, gatekeeping does work both ways. Yeah. I think one of the problems, though, to bring it back to almost where I started... Yeah. ...is that when something is a very male-dominated environment, mm. you get an intimidation spiral. Yes. Um, and it's like, you know, if I was to go to a generic comic shop... Yeah. I'd feel really intimidating, walk, intimidated walking in there because I wouldn't know what I was looking for. Mm. Yeah. Um, okay. And I mean, I'm probably far more likely to get asked, do you need help? Because I'm not an intimidating look. Like I'm a slightly overweight 34 year old woman with four kids. Yeah. People would assume that I'm looking for. On behalf of someone yeah. else, yeah. But if a woman was to walk in there and she was in her early 20s. Yeah, it'd and maybe be, didn't know anything about yeah. comics or, or board and games or anything be else. The patronising attitude of. What's she doing? Yeah, yeah, like, or not even that, like, oh, how sweet. Oh, shall I find you something, you know? Yeah. Shall I find you something with lots of pictures in it? I mean, it's comic books, but you know what I mean. <laughs> um, or you'd get the, well, you're a fake geek girl and you're doing it to attract men. 
Oh yeah, who's your fa- who's your favorite comic character? Oh, I quite like Deadpool in the movies. Oh yeah, but you never read a single comic. Uh, but but you don't even know his real name, the Wade yeah. Wilson. No, not Wade Wilson. It's actually this, this, and that. You know, and they'll, they'll expect you yeah. to know obscure trivia. Yeah, which they wouldn't ask. They like, which you wouldn't the, ask another at guy. At the moment, for context, Gardo is wearing um, an Avengers T-shirt. Yes. No one would look at him and say. Oh, you only know Avengers from the films. Name every Avenger ever and their first appearance, which is a bit of a shame because he'd be able to do that. Um, <laughs> no uh, shade. Well, probably up him. until the two thousands, once they started letting everyone on yeah. the team, it gets a lot harder. Kids these days. <laughs> well, because there was a point to go off on a brief tangent. There was a point where the Avengers characters were just Avengers. You know, they wouldn't be on many other teams. Yeah. Um, so, for example, you wouldn't have Spider-Man as a member of the Avengers. Yeah. You wouldn't have Wolverine as a member of the Avengers. And then, it, after Avengers disassembled in the early 2000s, um, Brian Michael Bendis went in with the approach of, well, no, it should be Marvel's best characters. Yeah. Which is how it originally started <laughs> in the 60s. Avenger. Yes, he is now. Yeah. But that's how it originally started in the 60s. It was these characters like Giant Man, Captain America, mm. Thor, Iron Man, who yeah. had their own stories. So yeah, he, he the the new Avengers team that you got was uh Spider Woman, who actually turned out to be a scroll imposter, but that's yeah. a whole different thing. Uh Captain America, Iron Man, Spider Man, Wolverine, um the Sentry, who mm. no one else was using at the time, uh Luke Cage. Yeah. And I swear I'm missing one. Yeah. Um And again it was the idea of you know, this should be this should be Marvel's best characters. Yeah. Just so happened these were the characters that Brian Michael Bendis liked to write. Yeah. But since then, you know, the Avengers have been joined by Iron Fist, Daredevil, yeah. Storm, yeah. Cable, Rogue, yeah. Deadpool. Yeah. So it's like most characters have been part of the Avengers now. Yeah. Which is good. Mm. Uh, and that makes them a bit more like the Justice League in DC, yeah. where it's like you know, Batman has his own titles, but he's still a Justice League yeah. member. Same with Superman. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but that's a completely different yeah, tangent. No one, you know all of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know all of this, but no one would ever challenge you. To, to, yeah. to prove it, whereas yeah. they would to you. Yeah, if yeah. I wore that T-shirt, it would be Name Every Avenger. Yes. Fortunately, because you and I have been together for, oh my gosh, must be coming up on 10 years now. Something like that, yeah. Um, <laughs> I probably do know all of this. Yeah. Because this is what we talk about. This is the kind of conversation we have <laughs> most days. Yes. But that's only because I've learnt it from someone who doesn't gatekeep. Yeah, Tallulah quite often jokes she doesn't need to listen to the podcast, even though she does. Yes. Um, <laughs> because she gets the live version at home, yeah. so, yeah. <laughs> But if I listen to the podcast, A, I get the intro and the outro, and also I can pause you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Again, no shade. No shade. I love how much you know. I genuinely do. (laughs) Um, But sometimes I feel like I need a notebook to write it all down in. No, fair Um, enough. But yeah, and it's like... I I suppose what you were saying about as well, about the that sort of idea of geek that's kind of how uh something like big bang theory presented geek culture to to the mainstream where it was like penny's not a geek and didn't know anything about what the guys knew about and then even when they introduced more academic nerdy women 
in um, Amy and Bernadette, yeah. they were they weren't geeks themselves. Yeah. They were nerds. They were yeah. specialised in different yeah. fields. And it's like if you look at Amy, yeah, someone to whom I have been compared. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she's very obviously really really clever. Like that's her whole thing. Yeah. I mean, she's a neurosurgeon. Yeah. Isn't she? Yeah. Or uh, a neuroscientist. neuroscientist. Yeah. Um. And it's like she has the traits of being awkward. And yeah. She gets compared originally as like. Oh, it's not fe- autism. It's they just... say she's she's female Sheldon. Yeah. Which number one is so derisory; it's untrue to be yes. a female someone else. Yeah, a female derivative of another uh, character. But you get also, that with Carol Danvers. People say, "Oh no, she's the female Captain Marvel." Yeah. And it's like, no, she's Captain Marvel. Yeah. But also, like, she doesn't have the specialized interest, like. And her interests are laughed at almost more than the guy's interests are. Like, she likes harps and medieval poetry. And yeah. she tries to do the Victorian Christmas. Yeah, she has her own niche things that she likes yeah. and is passionate about in the same way but that they do. no one even tries to be interested in those. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I don't. I don't think Big Bang Theory is a great example no, of geek culture. Anyway, not I, it's, at all, a, it's a bit of a. Started, but... I once saw it written down and described as a geek face. Yes. Um, I like that. Which yeah, because it's kind of it's. Ugh. Plus, it can't even get half of its references no. right. The one, it, the one Since about when is Wonder Woman blonde? Well, actually, there has yeah, there have exactly. been blonde Wonder Woman. That's exactly. The point, and that Sheldon says. Yeah. That. Oh no, Sheldon's worst one is. Um, the X in the X-Men comes from the X in Charles Xavier's name. It's like, no, it doesn't. No. The very first issue of X-Men says it comes for their extra power yeah. as being mutants. Because yeah. Stanley wrote it, and that's how simple Stanley yes. writes. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but, but, yeah. Yeah, I think I've, I've gone off with what I was going to say. Well, but... how, how do you think... Okay, so so... Put yourself in the position of the woman in the comic shop. Mm-hmm. How would you like to be approached by the people there to combat the gatekeeping? Because um, suppose, I suppose that's an interesting question that, I, that, that I'd want to ask to kind of like finalise everything. Okay. Like, how would you like to see gatekeeping combated? Number one, um, ask, do you need any help? But don't assume that I do. Fair enough. Because, you know, I might be able to walk straight up to the comic I want and grab yeah. it. Yeah. You know. I mean, this is um, just assuming comics. Yeah. I mean, most shops comic nowadays are... item. Yeah, most shops nowadays are, are comic, merchandise, board games, yeah. Dungeons & Dragons, um, anime, yeah. everything. Everything's in there, isn't there, in some yeah. of these places now. So but Yeah. Assume that... Offer help, but don't assume she needs help. Yeah. Um, ask, are you looking for anything in particular? Yeah. Um, I'd say don't assume it's for someone else. Yeah. Don't say is it for your son, brother, husband, you know. Yeah, especially assuming for a male figure. Yeah. 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 Um, have you read it? Ask, you know, have you read any of the others in this line? Have you? Yeah. Have you seen this line that branches off from this line? Yeah, because that does happen. Yeah. And also say, you know. If they're not sure what they're looking for, say, well, what are you interested in? Yeah. Rather than just assume, yeah. It's like so. I... If you say you were to come in wearing, I don't know, something Harley Quinn yeah. based, 
well, you could assume that you already know who Harlequin yeah. is as the character, or it could be that you just have some Harlequin merch. Yeah. Because you like the character yeah. and you want to know more. So then, you know, you say, I, I was to say to you, oh, do you need any help? And you say, yeah, um, what's a good place to start to read Harlequin, yeah. for example? And then, you know, a nerd like me would be able to go, well, uh, this series here by Connor and Palmiotti, that's really good. Or you could go all the way back to this series with Terry Dodson, um, you know, which you've read. You've read yeah. the Terry Dodson one. And it's like, that one's really yeah. good. Um, but, you know, don't assume she's only going to be interested in Harley Quinn because she's a girl. Yeah. You know, or... And don't deride the fact where if she's seen... Say not, Suicide Squad. I wasn't going to say Suicide Squad because I don't like Harley in that. Birds of but, Prey? You know, had she seen Birds of Prey and she says, I've seen Birds of Prey, I like Harley Quinn in that, don't yeah. deride the fact that that's where she's seen it. Yeah. You know. Because you'll get, you'll get some nerd who will say, oh, Harley Quinn isn't even a member of the Birds yeah. of Prey. <laughs> or, you know, if, you, if you've seen Suicide Squad, you haven't seen the real Harley Quinn. Yeah. Um, and... Just, you know, don't not knowing everything. For not knowing as you much as you. You were a newcomer once. I think that's the important point, isn't yeah. it? Everyone's a newcomer yeah. once. And, and if you, know, you love this thing, encourage more people to like it. Don't turn them away. Well, yeah. I mean, the comic book sales are down across the industry. They have been for decades, yeah. you know, because people aren't reading comics. So yeah. Bring people in. Yeah. Let them read comics. Comics don't are let, fun. Don't let the thing you love die. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, thanks for that. You are welcome. <laughs>conversation on gatekeeping and geek culture and not get at least another perspective yeah. other than my own you yeah. know being a, um, a, a i don't speak for everyone but i certainly speak for me yeah so exactly that's just my opinion um, yeah so maybe if there's a future episode if you want to drop by because you like the topic maybe we'll discuss i would it. love to I okay would absolutely love to the next episode which i'm doing in two weeks is going to come out uh, September 11th, I believe. Are we in the September's already? Nearly, yes. Um, so September 11th, the next episode is going to be coming out a few days after September 8th, which is the 55th anniversary of the Star Trek franchise. Yeah. Star Trek? Yeah, big excited <laughs> face. So Star Trek is going to be the focus. I'm going to do a franchise deep dive on Star Trek oh, for the next wait. episode. Yeah. Um, I'll be listening to that one because I won't be in it. <laughs> yes, it's going to be a very fun one. Uh, probably be a bit of a long one as well as this one yes. turned into. Um, so, do you want to leave any social media links if anyone wants to contact you? Uh, all okay. mine come up in a minute. Yeah. Um, so, I don't have a podcast yet, but I'm hoping to start one soon. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure that Gardo will advertise it for me. Quite possibly, yeah. <laughs> Uh, he may even appear, you never know. Maybe. Um, but I am on Instagram. I'm at TallulahJLJones. I don't have much geek content, but I have a lot of crafting content. So A lot like, of doll photos. Yes, a lot of doll photos. So if that's your sort of thing, um, feel free to drop me a follow. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much for having me. You're more than welcome. Um, so yeah, until next time, guys. Thank you for listening.
Thank you, as always, for joining me here at Gardo Goes Geek. I have been your host, Gardo. If you would like to discuss the topic of this episode or any other episode with me, or would perhaps like to discuss topics that you might like me to cover in a future episode, then, as always, I invite you to reach out and contact me. I can be found at Gardo on Reddit, at Gardo Hedgehog on Twitter, or at Gardo on Instagram. I look forward to any discussions that you wish to bring to me. And until next time, take care of yourselves. <laughs>